The following views expressed are those of the speakers and do not represent the views of DOD arts components. Pay attention because you are now listening to Permission to Speak Freely. 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 Hey, for the listeners, check it out. Bear with me. Y'all know we don't do intros. We usually go right in, but I feel like it was only right for us to do this, right? Let's go! Yes, yes. Our next guest needs no introduction, but if you've been living under a rock, <laughs> if you've been living under a rock, Hall of Fame, uh, what is it, Naval Academy? Hall of Fame, Naval Academy oh, yeah. football oh, yeah. player. You might have seen him on Instagram riding horses yes, at man. command events. Yes, Let's You go. might have seen him yes. on Instagram jumping off okay. shit in full uniform. You might have seen him on a jujitsu match taking people down. I saw them get a knockout in like 15 seconds in a fight. Yes. Come on, y'all. Y'all gotta know who this is. Lee and inspiring junior officer, Chief Junior Sutter. Come on, man. We got Captain Jerky. It's good to see you. I ain't even put the claps out of the fact, you know, I was nervous, but it's, yeah. it's, <laughs> look, it's so good to have you uh, here. We appreciate it. And I'm, I, I honestly, I think we're going to do a whole lot of talking and catching up and stuff like that. Yeah. But I really, it's funny. I ain't even hit record on my damn camera. All right. So now I'm recording. So I think we're going to um, do a whole lot of talking and catching up. So I, so I just want to jump right into it with um, some real stuff. Right. So I want to go, all, yeah. I want to go all the way back to Southeast San Diego. Is it Southeast San Diego? All right. So Southeast San It's not Southeast. It's Southeast. 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 Okay. So Southeast. Southeast. All right, so Southeast <laughs> San Diego. Let's do it. Let's do it. You standing in front of a gang, right? You standing in front of a gang. You getting ready yeah. to get jumped into this gang, right? What's what's going on in your head in this moment? And then what's the importance of this moment in your in your story? Yeah, so man, I didn't even know you guys knew about that. But yeah, so I grew up southeast San Diego off of Skyline. I was telling Damon that was my hood, and those are the people I ran with. And uh, you know, it was early '90s, Boys in the Hood. You know, that was kind of the the movie at the time. And uh, that was the brotherhood that um, that you wanted to be a part of. Because if you weren't a part of something like that, um, then you were getting jumped. You know, so I, I, I surrounded myself with people I felt safe with. And they just so happened to be gangbangers. But yeah, so it was my moment to get jumped in. You know, there was, you know, if you guys don't know anything about initiations, you know, you have a time. And uh, for our particular gang, like the way that they initiated folks was, you know, you went toe-to-toe with somebody and the moment you started to get an advantage, more people would jump in. And then you had to walk a gauntlet without, when that was said and done. And then there was something afterwards and you never knew that was always the surprise. But you, you kind of, they gave you a heads up of what was going to happen. So here I am in line, ready to go. I was first one up mm. and they called me over. And, um, you know, it's a little bit of a walk about, you know, a hundred yards or so, but kind of out of sight because they wanted everything that happened to be out of sight of the people that were getting initiated. And uh, the G, you know, the, the OG pulled me aside and he said, hey man, hey Jerv, today 
I mean, you, you're one of us. You always will be, but today's not your day. Uh, we're not going to jump you in. And, uh, and that's, that's, that, that's all there is to it. And I said, what? I mean, you guys are my, 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 my brothers, my homies. I mean, this is all I know. I run with you guys. And he was like, man, you're doing way too much good. Um, yeah, you're doing, you'll do way much more good outside of the gang than you will in. I know um, you'll always be a brother, but we can't have you getting mixed up with us. So today's not your day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so I went home, man. I, my, my head was between my legs and I was just like pissed. I was like, they didn't want me. I wasn't good enough. And, um, I didn't see the ride at the wall at the time, but it turns out, uh, the, the next day after the initiation at the park, they had to go to a rival gang member's house, you know, and, and basically, you know, point blank, shoot the dude. Mm. And, um, they did mm-hmm. it uh, in front of the mom and, uh, made local news, everything. And to this day, and this was like early nineties to this day, they're still in jail serving life. And I, wow. I, I, I talked to, you know, I think to myself, man, that could have been me. Mm. That should have been me. Yeah. If that mm-hmm. one person didn't take an active part in my life and said, today's not your day. Um, and it changed my whole perspective in life. This one person, the most unexpected person, uh, took me aside. Um, and he knew what was right for me. He knew what was, uh, what was best for me. And that was a life changing moment, probably the crucible moment of my life where I knew that there was somebody out there that believed in me and my potential. And from that day forward, um, you know, I, I, I put myself in that guy's shoes and I said, man, there is somebody out there that needs an intervention, that needs the mentorship, that needs, someone to step in their life and say, I believe in you. Uh, I know what you are capable of uh, and you need to go right, not left. And, and from that moment, um, it changed my life forever. And, and that's why I am who I am today. Mm-hmm. And wow. in this time, right, dad's already in the military, right? You're a military brat already, right? Yep. My dad was underway. He was deployed. You know, and I remember, like, I used to get excited about my dad deploying, you know, because every time he came back from Westpac, I'd get brand new toys. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, and basically, I could run around the house and get in, in, in myself mixed into things that I shouldn't have got myself mixed up with. Um, but yeah, I didn't, you know, when he was gone, I didn't have a father figure. It was me and my brother, you know, about a year apart. But we ran wild, man. And, um, you know, this is before I got started, you know, uh, you know, well, you know, before he, he, he made me do sports. Um, and I was running them up and I was, I was thugging it out. Um, you know, getting myself, you know, mixed up with things I shouldn't have. But again, you know, just dad not being present all the time going on these West packs kind of had an impact on me. Mm-hmm. And y'all came from Guam, right? Yeah. So my dad was, you know, stationed all over. He, uh, you know, immigrated from the, from the Philippines. Um, he enlisted in the Philippines and then, you know, it just so happened he was stationed in Guam when I was born. But then a year later, um, you know, we moved to San Diego. So I was born in Guam, considered a Chamorro, but then I left the San Diego and I don't remember much about Guam except that I was born there, but I did most of my time in National City, Paradise Hills, Southeast San Diego, uh, where I kind of, you know, learn, you know, kind of, you know, the, the ways of the streets uh, for the most part. Um, and, and and that's why I feel like I have an advantage when it comes to leadership, because I'm able to connect most folks, um, you know, in, in you know, in, you know, in, in the service, folks that have lived that sort of lifestyle, I'm able to connect and inspire 
um, because we share similar stories. Yeah. You got that jujitsu experience too. So if somebody really want to get froggy, oh, yeah. you know, we can shut the doors. <laughs> That was a big story of my like when I was a junior officer, man. Like, and I, and I tell this story all the time. Like, you know, when I left the academy, you know, they always kind of tell you to be this certain ter- this certain type of person. You know, you got to talk different, you got to speak different. And when I first got to the ship, that's how I was, and I wasn't able to connect, and I just felt like there was this this gap um, that I wasn't able to connect. And then as soon as I started being real uh, with my division. Um, which included, you know, fan room wrestling, you know, yeah. just down on the deck plates, you know, just kind of having it out, you know, you know, just kind of testing folks. I, I started off on an all male ship and, uh, it was like whoever was tougher, like who was the bigger man and you would have it out. Like you wouldn't like hit each other in the face, but you would still, you know, wrestle and, and show your dominance. And then from that day on, I realized that I could just be myself. I could be true to who I am as a person. And they would respect me more. I mean, I wouldn't mm-hmm. fight everybody, you know, but I would show them, you know, like, hey, if you want to mess with me, we can we can go ahead and throw hands and we can show, like, and we can see who the real dude is. Uh, and then just instant cred, right? So that's, you know, the the background and, and fighting and wrestling and, and the gangs and all that other stuff just is, you know, just methods and means of how I can communicate best with with, with some of the folks. Okay, I want to jump on that connection thing, uh, sir, the connection with the crew and things like that. They, hey, so I went, I came to your ship before. One of the ships you was on before when you were the CO on, on, um, on the, on the Mirtha. So I, I, I came there as an inspector. Right. So I most definitely want to say when you say the connection with the crew, <laughs> no doubt you have a connection with the crew. <laughs> I'm talking about I never and I know Dumbo, uh, you're going to come back in on this. But I want to just say this before we get too too far. From the time I stepped on board, I was on board for like three days. And mm-hmm. every conversation I had with every sailor, I think you was brung up in every talk we talked about. And then once you came in the room and you came down and you talked to us, I knew why. You know what I mean? I knew why they felt this way <laughs> um, about you, man. It's like running through walls. And I, and I don't know if I talked to Dumbo and, and Tish about this, that I came on the ship and I was blown away. The stories, we could even go like further and talk about the stories that that they was telling me what happened on the ship while you was there and what you was, what you was doing and how that connection you was building. Um... But I would like to know that, though, that connection. How, like, when you go on board a ship, it could be your first ship or whatever ship you was on. How was you you coming in day one building that that connection with, with um, the sailors? So I, I think it all starts with, you know, just kind of my background in, in athletics, right? Like, I, I, I grew up in a locker room. I understand the power of people that believe in each other, believe in a common goal, full of energy, you know, fighting for each other, with each other to accomplish something special, something great. Mm-hmm. And for me, like I've, I've had three commands. And mm-hmm. when I was able to experience success by the, using the same formula, um, I, I brought it over to the second ship and then I brought it over to the third ship and it's a formula that works. It's about just being a positive force, bringing positive, big energy. And when people can, you know, feel and, 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 and believe in something that's huge, that's big. And they know that something's coming. A storm is coming. 
And when they feel that energy and they feel that love, they want to be a part of it. Like no one wants to be part of a losing organization. Mm -hmm. And when you bring energy from day one and you show them and you are a a shining beacon of what it could be like, I'm telling you, people want to be a part of that. Like, Damon, you know that our schedule was rough. Like Mm -hmm. we had a rough schedule from the time we left the yards to the time, you know, I left. It was, you know, we left the yards on time. It was, you know, um, you know, three out of area deployments. Mm -hmm. Everything that you could think of about a surface ship and how hard it could be. When you bring love and empathy and energy to an organization like that, they want to be a part of it. And when you have a bunch of sailors that want to be a part of something special, then there's no telling what could happen. Mm. It's like an unstoppable force. But it started from the moment I stepped on board the ship. And I don't know if you've ever heard how they bogged me on, but it wasn't just your standard, you know, ding, 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 John P. Murtha arriving. I told them, no, you have to announce me coming in for everyone to know because we're going to start off the day right. Mm -hmm. So it was ding, 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 John (laughs) P. Murtha. And then like everybody, like, and then it just kind of continued on, mm-hmm. right? And then from the yards, from, you know, the first meeting we would have, you know, with all of the contractors and everybody on board, like we weren't messing around. Like it was business and people kind of mistake, you know, all of the fun and antics and wild things that we do on the ship. They confuse it with the fact that we are freaking crushing it. Mm-hmm. We were winning all the time. We were, you know, the best ship with all the, the highest scores. We didn't lose, right? And then when the crew walks around, chest puffed out, feeling good about themselves, the head held high, wearing the new ball cap with the two six, feeling pride and being a part of the John P. Murtha, man, we were starting, you know, not just a bunch of people, you know, just kind of following. I mean, we started a movement mm. and it was just wild what we were able to do. And when people start to believe in each other, um, you know, especially when you get the mess involved, Man, it is like I said, it's an unstoppable force. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. Right. It, it changed, and I'm, I'm gonna go back to college in a second. But I do want to say it, yeah. it changed the culture. Me and Damon, we had a conversation on a podcast before about ships and how somebody said like they think bad ships are bad ships, like they think bad ships got bad bones, which pretty much was like the plank owners of that ship just kind of like messed up the culture. So you need like this shock to like change that culture, right? So what I want to say about the Mirtha is it's amazing that even now to this day, that's like all these officers, that's where they want to go. You know what I mean? So ships, like reputation is like on a high right now. And then it's like, if you go here, like you going to go and try to be amazing because you want to keep that up. You don't want to see something. Like you said, Mm -hmm. people like winning teams. So you don't want to see something that was at this level and now you are part of it going back down to this other level. So I think that's amazing. I, but I, I want to go back to college real quick. Um, but can I just, just t- touch on that point you made though? Like when you said ships are ships, like bad ships are bad ships. See, I don't believe that though. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I think it all depends on leadership, right? Like when mm-hmm. I took over the, the, the Harper's ferry, right? So CO got fired. It was after I took command of the Comstock. Uh, after I left the Comstock, I was working as the, um, the N3 over at uh, ESG3. Harper's Ferry was going through a lot of stuff. Fell in LOA. They couldn't, uh, they couldn't get out to sea. They failed the ready for sea assessment. Losing organization. Mm-hmm. And then so they fired the CO and I got there and you know, just interviewing, talking to the folks. The mess was good, right? But they just weren't 
able to flourish. They had their wings clipped. And then, so I got there, I called them, you know, like it was one of these all hands calls. And I said, Hey, you guys are a bunch of losers. You know, mm-hmm. I don't lose from this day forward, the losing ends. And then I gave them vision. My first, I talked to the cheese mess. I talked to them about kind of where we were going to go. We were going to take this ship. I, and then I talked to the crew and all I did was I gave them a little vision. I gave them a little guidance and then I got out of the way. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that was a losing organization because they weren't able to do the things that they were trained to do. I got out of the way and they started to shine and they saw they're like, man, all it took was one person to believe in us, one person to just kind of get out of the way and let us do our jobs. And then they thrived and they became, you know, kind of the go-to ship battle league winners in just a short amount of time. So again, like a ship is a ship. Yeah. There's some reputation with the ship, but it all starts with the top man. Like, and if the top and leadership doesn't believe in them, if the, if the chief's mess isn't unified and together, yeah, a ship will be a ship. A failing ship will be a failing ship until somebody, like you said, shocks the organization yeah. mm-hmm. so that they believe in themselves and they take a new direction. Yeah, somebody shocks it. And really, like one person could lead the charge, man. Like one, like yeah. I, you know, I was talking to one of my one of my first classes uh, on my ship now, and I'm like, yo, we gotta fight negativity with positivity every day. Even if we yeah. against the ropes, like we got to fight it with positivity every single day. We got to motivate. They don't, even if they don't want to be motivated right now, we got to talk Navy stuff. We got to talk nav admins. Even if they don't want to hear none of that stuff right now, we got to keep talking, yeah. keep talking, keep talking it until it just become a part of our, like, like it's inculcated in, in the division, you know? And that's so. Yeah. yeah, that's a battle. Their negative vampires weren't authorized on my ship. Yeah. Hmm. Like if you were, if you were going to suck the life out of what we were trying to accomplish, you can go somewhere else. We'll TAD. We don't need you. We don't need that toxin on board our ship, right? right. I mean, inherently, the Navy. I mean, people are going to find things to complain about. There's always yeah. something yeah. to complain about in the Navy. But if you don't, if if you don't realize how blessed you truly are to be a part of, you know, service to your country and a part of a ship that's ready to do amazing things. If you don't see that, then you can go and, and experience that sort of lifestyle somewhere else. But we're about to change the world and make a difference. So get on board mm-hmm. and let's, let's, let's enjoy this ride. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm going to try, I'm going to try to get, I feel like Shannon Sharp with the cards. Remember y'all saw the cat? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to go back to the cards. Like, right. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's go back to college. I said, yes. I, I still feel young. So yeah, let's hit college uh, real quick. So dad made you play sports. Yeah. Okay. So dad got you into, so you start playing football, right? And then somehow football gets you to the Naval Academy, right? Yep. So yeah, it goes way deeper than that though. Like again, like grow up Southeast San Diego, getting into some bad things. I was like in a bike gang, like riding my little mongoose around, like (laughs) at a young age, you know, seven, eight years old, like stealing stuff from 7-Eleven. I was was just going down the wrong path. My dad saw a, a group of kids, um, you know, as he was playing tennis, he was a big tennis player and he saw like an organized group of kids um, playing this game. He had no idea about it. He was like, this is what my son needs to get into. He came to me and he was like, hey, son, you got to go play this sport. You got to go. You know, I signed you up. You got to give me one day. I was like, dad, I ain't, this ain't for me. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I, I'm already I like my routine. Uh, I like running, you know, riding my bike up the street. Um I'm good. He was like, nope, you give me one day. And after that one day, if you don't like it, uh, then you can quit. But you got to give me that one day. So I went, 
I didn't want to be there. Um, but then, you know, we started doing sprints and I was like, man, I could run with these guys. We started doing like, you know, they kind of grouped us into skilled and, you know, and, and, and linemen and all that other stuff. And for my first day being out there, like I was making a name for myself. People were like, they knew my, my first name, you know, they were having me like lead the line. Um, they were giving me the ball to do certain things. And I was like the first, you know, this is my first day and they've been there for like a week already. So then like, I was like, man, this is pretty cool. Like I'm a part of something special, a group of folks, a group of uh, guys that, you know, um, that are coming together and they're, we're high-fiving, you know, we're feeding off each other's energy. I might like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from that day forward, I was hooked with sports. Then I, you know, I was playing football, I wrestled and I played baseball all, you know, through, um, you know, elementary school and I never looked back. So yes, yeah, so sports was a part of my life. Um, and then, you know, as I was growing up, like I started following Notre Dame football, mm-hmm. you know, cause I was a big football player now and I was a running back and I was just like, man, I love everything about that school. They're on national television. Um, they got these cool, you know, gold helmets. They play in front of touchdown Jesus. Um, you know, it, it was just a beautiful, beautiful, uh, school that I would always watch every Saturday morning. So I told myself, man, I'm going to play football at Notre Dame one day. I wrote it on a piece of paper and, uh, you know, I, I was obsessed with it. I put it on, you know, my wall and every day I wake up and I, I would read this piece of paper that said, I am going to play football at Notre Dame. Um, you know, I was a small little scrawny Filipino kid <laughs> and, you know, I had no business playing at that level, but, you know, I, it never strayed me from getting closer to my goal or at least fighting to, to achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely relentless. Uh, and then in high school, I was still, you know, small. I wrestled 98 pounds my freshman year. Um, and, you know, and I think by my senior year, I was like a 140, 145. And Notre Dame was knocking. You know, I wasn't big enough, fast enough, strong enough. I wasn't that D1 Notre Dame caliber type of guy. But there was one school um, that was interested. Um, and it was Navy, mm. you know. And, you know, even by the grace of God, I was able to get into Navy. I had a good friend, one of my best friends that played high school with me. Uh, who got recruited to play at Navy and, uh, he was a six, three receiver, um, you know, really fast. He had really good hands and he knew I wanted to go there too. Um, so he kind of made a deal with the, with the coach and he said, Hey, I will go there. And he was a blue chipper too. I will go there if you bring Jervy along with me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, sure enough, man, they really wanted him. And, uh, they're just like, all right, if we can get you by bringing this other scrub along, we'll do that too. (laughs) And and so it just so happened, you know, they brought this scrub along. I went to the prep school, me and LeBron Butts, his name was, we both went to the prep school. I reported at 145. Uh, you know, I left the prep school. I gained 50 pounds there in Newport, Rhode Island. First time I was like, you know, you know, I, I was introduced to like real American food. So I gained a lot of weight. <laughs> I was introduced to, with weights. So, you know, I got real big, uh, fast and strong. And then I was able to report at the Naval Academy at 195. And, um, you know, and I ended up playing at Navy, started as a freshman uh, and just had an unbelievable career f- f- from then on. Yeah. And some of the highlights were co-captain in 97, led the team in tackles. Is it still second most in team history? It is. Okay. Yeah. It's it was a lot of tackles as a, from a, a safety perspective, you don't want your safety making all the tackles, right? That yeah, just yeah. means they got past the first line <laughs> yeah. of defense, the second line <laughs> second of defense, <laughs> and they got to me. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's a stat, like it, it it's a it's a great stat. Um, but the 
probably the proudest stat that I'm uh, I'm most proud of is the fact that I started 40 consecutive games. Yeah, that's great. Right. So that mm-hmm. means I was endurable, that I stayed on, um, that I didn't lose my spot, that I continue to grind and stay hungry. Um, so the fact that I started 40 consecutive games, uh, it probably means more to me than, you know, the the career tactics. Yeah. And then no and then you landed in the Hall of Fame in ninety eight for the Naval Academy. You still are you still following the team? I'm sure you are, right? All, all I too. am, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I love Navy football. Like it's it's it, it's it's kind of crazy, you know, that they still got to deal with, you know, of, of course, all the recruiting, you know, uh, challenges, you know, having to, you know, get all these blue chippers that know that the likelihood of going to the next level is probably, um, you know, it's not in their favor. But then they got to deal with schools that are, you know, six year, seven year transfers, NIL money, um, you know, mm. portal transfers. Navy doesn't do that. They can't do that. So they're one of the true schools that are really looking at the high school level to get their cream of the crop, to get the talent mm. where most schools are, are, you know, are, are picking guys that are already playing college, um, that are in the transfer portal, you know, picking, plucking all these studs, um, from already established organizations and they could just kind of plug and play them just like that. Navy doesn't have that luxury. It's hard. And it's challenging, especially when at the end of the day, they know that they got to meet standards and requirements of, you know, of the Navy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always going to be a challenge. Um, and now that they're in a conference playing big schools, um, yeah, it, it, it's definitely a challenge, but I'm, I'm, I'm still the, their number one fan and I root for them. I, I follow every game as difficult as it may seem. Um, there's this thing that we do, you know, at the service academies that, you know, our, 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 our war cry is to sing second, right? Like if you, if you lose, you got to sing your alma mater first and the winners sing second. Mm-hmm. We haven't sung second in, in a really long time, um, but we need to get back to those winning ways. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. yeah I want to go and talk because how many times we lost to the army in a row? Now was it two? Was it two uh, years straight? I think it's two two years in a row. Yeah, yeah last year when they yeah. fired the coach, they they fired the coach with last year, and then we lost uh, yeah. this year. Yeah, and we needed two heartbreaking games that mm-hmm. we should have won. Yeah, I, like I, it was stupid mistakes. It was a block punt. Yes, yeah, sir. Me and Dumbo, you know, me you know and, yeah, me, and me and Dumbo had something to say too. We was mad. <laughs> we, 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 yeah, yeah. we, we, we got to win those games, man. We got to beat Army every time. Gotta beat so we, Army, I remember us talking man. about yeah. it, man. We, we got, we got to get that win. Yeah. So yeah, and one of the things that the players don't understand, and I didn't understand at the time either when I was there, is man, it, it's this is a global game, mm-hmm. right? Like you represent. Navy, yeah. right? You're not just representing the Naval Academy in small little Annapolis, Maryland. You you represent folks that are forward deployed all over the world and they're all <laughs> tuning in, right? Yeah. So you're not just playing for yourself. You're not just playing for your brothers in the locker room. You're playing for your service. You're playing for your country. You're playing for all those that are deployed around the world. So when you, like, when we take these L's, like, we feel it. Yeah. We all feel it. And it's just like, we got to hear from all these freaking army folks. Oh, yeah, you guys suck. You guys lost again. And it's terrible. Yeah. Like, I hate feeling it. Like, as soon as, like, the game is over, like, I don't even want to watch all the models. I don't even want to talk to folks, especially I, I'm here in Colorado Springs. And I live, like, real close to Fort Carson, which is an army base. And they all know I'm a Navy dude. Like they're calling me, they're texting me, they're out front of my house, man. I just shut my my windows, silence my my phone, and I go in hibernation because it just sucks, yeah, man. It's rough. But I feel like you kind of have to 
because of your personality. I saw one of your posts where it was oh, your, yeah. your, your army war college photo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if y'all saw it, but he's in like the, what is it called a yearbook or it's our yearbook. Yeah. The yearbook. And everyone's, you know, all in their official gear and everything. Some of them have their families with them. He has his uniform busted open <laughs> with a B Army shirt on. <laughs> yeah. And, and I got in trouble for that too. But I wasn't going to let them change it. I, I gave him one option. You could either take me out and just say, picture not available, or you could use that picture. And uh, I had a nice little talking to you by the general, but it was so worth it, right? Yeah. Like, all my life, I've been told, you know, to beat Army. Like, it was ingrained in my skull. So now I'm going to school with a bunch of Army folks. No, you're not my friend. I don't like you. Like, we go to war, right? And, like, I get it. Like, if we're in a joint environment and we got to fight together, yeah, we got to get along. We got to help each other out. Yeah, we're brothers in arms. But when it comes down to football, man, I don't like you. Yeah. I don't like how you smell. I don't like how you look. Man, like, we're, like, mortal enemies. Yeah. So that's just how I've, like, grown up. And, and to this day, that's still how I feel. Yeah, go, go Navy, beat Army. We need to get that win. Absolutely. That's it. Yeah. So I was stationed at the Naval Academy for a couple, for, like, three years. And when I was there, we would go on these summer... So I was at the Small Craft uh, Repair Department, right, SERD. And we would go on summer blocks with, you know, midshipment. And... One of the things about going on these blocks with the Miz was like, we would talk to them about what you want to be, what you want to do. Everybody wanted to be a pilot, right? Nobody really, not too many of the Miz, based off my experience, ever said, hey, I want to be, I want to go slow, right? So while you're in the Naval Academy, what made you want to go slow versus SEAL or pilot or any of those other things? Yeah, great question. So again, when I was in at the Naval Academy, it was like right after Top Gun, you know, so they are already recruiting. Like everybody wanted to fly jets. They wanted to get the F-14 Tomcats. They wanted to be Maverick. All the Marines look good in uniform, right? So they walk around, you know, looking sharp in the uniform. So everyone always looks at them and says, man, that's what I want to be. No one looks at a SWO and says, man, I want to be just like that guy. <laughs> because you know, a lot of times, like, what do they bring to the table, right? Like, yeah. and then, so there's this stigma about surface warfare officers, you know, the whole, you know, they're backstabbers, they eat their young, um, all these negative things about surface warfare. And it's, you know, you go to the academy, you know, you want to be a pilot, you want to be a SEAL, you want to be a Marine. And if you don't get any of your top choices, you're stuck being a SWO, mm-hmm. right? So then everyone already has that mentality. They enter the fleet and there's just like, it's not my first, not my second, Maybe I got my third choice, mm. but I didn't get my first choice. So they already have this negative um, kind of um, thought about this profession that they were assigned to. For me, uh, personally, I wanted a coach. I wanted to teach. I wanted to do bigger and better things. And I, I always thought to myself, you know, I was, this was um, just kind of a platform to get to college to, you know, use my, the talents that God gave me to play this great game of football. I was going to do my time. I was going to get out and I was going to coach and teach. Mm -hmm. The fastest way to do that for me was the slow route, the surface warfare Mm -hmm. officer route. Cause I could just do my five years. Uh, I didn't have to go to more schooling to do my five years and punch. What I didn't realize as a first tour divo was I was teaching. I was coaching. I had these young, impressionable sailors, 18, 19, 20-year-olds that were listening, Mm -hmm. that I was having a huge positive impact and influence in their life. So 
all the things that I wanted to do outside of the Navy once I was done with it, I was doing already. Mm-hmm. So something that I used, I, I was service assigned service warfare to get to another path, right? Just as a stepping stone to get to something that something else that I wanted to do. When I didn't realize the thing that I wanted to do, I was actually doing it. And I was having fun and enjoying it while I was doing it. And oh, by the way, I was serving my country. I was making my dad proud, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. So what was your first job, first tour? I was an anti-submarine warfare officer. I was an ASWO on a frigate. Mm-hmm. So I was on a reserve frigate, the um, FFG-19, the John A. Moore. And then, so I had a bunch of torpedo men and, uh, and STGs. And my first chief was STGC. Man, I'll tell you what, man. Like, he was like probably the biggest influence in my life, my naval career. You know, you always talk about your first chief. Mm-hmm. This senior chief, man, was all that and more. And, um, I mean, we were a anti-sub platform. And so my job was pretty damn important. And he reminded me every day that I am blessed to be a part of this division. You know, heavy maintenance, uh, you know, just heavy watch standing, hop, heavy operations. And this guy made me a believer in, in what I was doing. Like, I mean, there are like sexier jobs on the ship, mm-hmm. but he made me believe that it was the absolute sexiest job on the ship. So that word that I adopted, you know, being sexy and, and everything that we do, it all came from him, man. Mm-hmm. Like he wanted me to, to embrace being a, uh, an ASWO, embrace being in charge of this division and own it. Um, and make sure that it is best division on the ship. Um, and then, you know, just from that day forward or from that, um, experience forward, I like kind of vowed wherever I was, I was going to make it the sexiest, um, you know, on the waterfront. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's salute, salute the good chiefs, man. Salute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Chiefs, yeah. Yeah. Good chiefs, man. Yeah. I found the soundtrack. I found it, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hey, I got I got a quick thing I wanted right before your first ship. So this is something I didn't know. And I've been in the, in the Navy for a long time. And I did not know the sel- ship selection process. Can you talk real quick about the ship selection? I think that's huge. I think that's, Thank that's you. big. I love yeah. that. How did, how did yes. that work? So it wasn't like that during my time, though. Oh. So like we didn't have any of that. Like it, it was different. Like it was like secluded, this big old room, but like it was empty. And you would just go up there. You had no idea what ships were left. You would just go in there, pick, and then you know that and you went on your day, and you'd go out and drink with your with your boys. But now it's a huge production, and I am glad that they're doing it. It, it is like the NFL draft. Right. Mm-hmm. You have your own walk up song. You get like <laughs> your moment on the stage. It is based on order of merit. So there's incentive to do well in school so that you can get the, the ship of your choosing. But it's a, I mean, it's a huge fanfare. It's in uh, alumni hall, the big basketball stadium. It's packed. Like the, the, even the upper level is packed with midshipmen supporting, um, you know, their, their, their fellow uh, mids. But, yeah, it, it, it's awesome. Swole Boss goes out there. The soup is out there. You got a bunch of dignitaries that are sitting in the front row. But there's a lot of pomp and circumstance and people feel the energy mm-hmm. and they're bringing some excitement back to the surface community. Something that has been lacking for quite some time. So they get um, pretty excited about this event. And the way it works is like by order, first, you know, the, the first person, you know, that's ranked, you know, not, it's not just academics, but it's overall military, uh, QPR or whatever quality. I, I forgot what it's mm-hmm. called. But if you are number one, 
right? You, there's your picture up there. It talks, you know, hobbies, you know, interests, and there's a, a, a funny picture of you, whatever. And then you get to walk on stage and they play the song of your choice. And then it's, 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 uh, you know, on the board, it's sectioned by home ports. So it's like San Diego, uh, Hawaii, Pac Northwest, um, you know, Japan, uh, and then like Rhoda and all the other places. And then it's, it's really interesting, you know, especially the, you know, the first 10 picks, like what's going to go off the board first. And it just so happened. I think this is probably the first time that they got a DDG out of San Diego mm. as the very first choice. Usually wow. it's something forward deployed out of Rhoda, out of Japan. Um, but they picked, uh, a ship first, uh, DDG out of San Diego. Yeah. Shout out. And it's, it's hilarious because, you know, being a former football player, I have dinner with all the swells, the, the times I've been out there and other football players, you know, it just so happens, you know, they're kind of in the bottom of, you know, the picking <laughs> order. So, and, and, and I could talk about that too and why it is, but, um, you know, so they all kind of come together and, they all want to be on the same ship. So what's always left? It's some LSD out of Norfolk, yeah. right? Or, you know, some, some ship that's about to, to decom. But it ends up, you know, what I tell the mids is there's no bad choice. Like it, 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 it is what you make it, mm-hmm. right? If, it, if you're hearing bad things about a ship, pick that ship so you can turn mm-hmm. it around. Make it a part of your legacy that you took this losing organization and turned it around. And, oh, by the way, if you're there with your brothers and you're able to do it together or go through the experience and the journey together, it's going to be that much more memorable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, so yeah, man, that's, that's I was great. watching Fear Factor, right? So I'm watching this. Yeah. this I'm watching this uh, military Fear Factor episode. <laughs> I, so for the listeners, I want to say this just so y'all know. You should have won every, you should have won, and you probably won't say this, but you should have won every category, uh, every round. That first round, the, the lady was just slow. She was slow on her thing. And he held her down. Y'all. What did I do? What did, you what, what did I do? For her. He, he held her down. I waited for he her. waited for yeah. her before he jumped off. Next dude come. So, uh, like, just so y'all know, they know a fair factor. The first round, they got to jump off a damn... They get, like, slung off a ship onto this net. And they got to pull these flags. And the net is on a helicopter. So, they got to pull yeah. these flags off of this damn... You got to climb up to the top of that net that's suspended. Yeah. And then pull the flags. Yeah, and yeah. pull these flags. And it's two of them, and it's it's time based. So he get his done real fast. The lady, she kind of slow. And then, yeah, and then when you do it, yeah, then you got to you got to jump off into the water. But so he, but he yeah. he, he did some stand up stuff because he waited for her, and then you know they fell up. The next dude went up. He jumped right up as soon as he finished. <laughs> he did. You know, he just dove right off. But um. So it's a couple. That first one, I would have been like, "Nah, I can't do it." You know, what I mean? like I'm not getting slugged off a boat or to a net or a helicopter. Nope, not me. I'm done. I'm going back to the ship. Boom, boom, boom. But there's a couple things about this before you really start kind of recapping. The first thing is y'all were the only officers there, right? Y'all got yeah. a lot of. They got a lot of. I don't know if y'all saw this episode, but they got a lot of hate for that. You know, the people like, yeah, yeah they not. They don't do no work. All they do is tell people what to do. They, just add in. Yeah. <laughs> right? so, they don't need the money. Yeah. Yeah. So they should have won first round, right? Second round. <laughs> second round. Wait, wait. Can we talk about that first yeah, round? Yeah, let's though? talk about it. So, so the first round, which is different from all fear factors, the winner of the first round got to choose who they wanted off. Yeah, yeah. Right? So we came in second, and I think it was the Coast Guard that came in first. Yep. And instead of 
instead of eliminating, you know, their closest rival, which would have been yeah. us, they went fair and square. They're just like, well, we just think that's the right thing to get rid of the people that took last. Yeah. So like from a strategic perspective, like that was stupid. That was done. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like 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 ethically and morally, like that was the right call. Like I probably would have done the same thing yeah. because it was the right thing to do. But strategically, that yeah, was stupid. You that was dumb. <laughs> so, yeah. so he calls. Yeah. He wound up calling the Marines ignorant. So they got tight. The yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So, but so again, like it's all like Hollywood, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah, we yeah. were. They were talking all kinds of trash about us. How we're officers. Uh, that all we do is admin, and it was like this banter back and forth. And then, so the whole time I was just like, man, you guys, you guys have no idea what we do. You have no idea what I do. Yeah. But, and they were like, I mean, not to bash I'm them, say, but I they were it? like. I'll say it. I'll say it. They was like, yeah. they was like uh, journalists, media people, Mariah, yeah. NWR yeah. people. Like, that was that. I'll say it. I know what you're about to say. They were, yeah, they were grunts. They yeah. were grunts. <laughs> <laughs> the loggies, yeah. quarterbacks. I was like, come on, man. Yeah. But they all had, they all, the thing, the one thing is that everybody had been to Iraq, right? Everybody had been. So was it Iraq or Afghanistan? It was Iraq, right? It was Iraq. Yeah, so every, yeah. everybody had been to Iraq, but they all had, but you know, I'm watching that. I'm like, oh, so this was a morale, because like, I was morale. I was, I was like, okay. So when Captain get up there, he like, yo, I'm doing what, you know, we supposed to do. You know, I'm, I'm on, I forgot what you said, but it was Navy related. Like, you know, um, so my question is this, right? Round two, right? Round two was, can you walk through round two for them? Because I don't think they saw. Yeah. So, yeah. So round two was interesting because typically for fear factors, round two is the eating stunt. But before you get to the eating stunt, you have to be able to remove a canteen and um, a canteen and a tray full of food that was inside of a box that was crated up. Uh, that was protected by snakes. So we had to cut down this rope so that the cargo box came down. We had to take some tools uh, and then open up this box. When you open up the box and all these snakes come out and try to bite you. Um, so you, once you get past the snakes and you take out the small little canteen and the tray, you got to bring it over to the table. And then you just, whoever finishes the nasty, gross, nasty concoction of food uh, that they prepared <laughs> yeah. is the winner. And uh, so inside of this canteen were live leeches in swamp water. And yeah. inside of the tray was like all kinds of nasty stuff that was covered with maggots on top. So, you know, it was just like gross yeah. stuff. It was like intestines. They even had like, I mean, you all know like Bolot, right? Yeah. You guys are all probably had it during initiation <laughs> or whatever. But they had like a, a, a thing that looked like a Bolot that had the feathers and the beak and everything. but. So they showed, it was like the disclosure, right? So they, they disclosed the, the stunt just to get the reaction. Then they stopped tape. Then they send you this waiver sheet and then it's, you got to read it and you got to sign it. And on that waiver sheet, I remember it's like, <laughs> beware. If you don't bite down and kill all the leeches before you swallow, then they, they, they may, uh, attach your esophagus yeah. and cause ulcers. So like, and then you got to sign your life away, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so, one thing about that stunt too is as a, a, an additional fifty thousand for the person for the team that won that event, mm -hmm. or twenty five thousand, whatever the uh, the amount was. 
so to me, like I was a young, you know, a young, confident guy. Like I didn't care about ulcers. Like that's <laughs> that's what happens with old people, right? Like I'm freaking taking this to the to the house, you know, and I'm gonna win this competition regardless of what happens to me. So he downs this uh he downs this glass of uh leeches, yo. Like just downs it. And the people in the background, they hate and they like, no, they they like they gonna you gotta chew them all. He ain't gonna get them all, he ain't gonna chew them all, he ain't gonna get them all. So they, so they, they go on and went. Then he go on to eat because so because you know one I think one person chooses to eat, one person chooses to drink. She wasn't done. So then again, once again, sportsman goes in to eat to help her finish the food. So they finish and they finish this round because it's like it, whoever finished the fastest and they win the round. Right now, the third round had me in suspense because they didn't show what happened at the end. So the third round, and I'm gonna briefly explain it. It's it's they on the are y'all on a y'all attached to a helicopter, right? With like bungee cord. Yep. So they attached to yep. a helicopter with bungee cord, and it's a truck, and it's driving off like a pier or something, right? So the truck is going uh, off a carrier. Oh, the truck driving off the oh, so the truck driving off a carrier. All right, so the truck is yep. going to like fall into the water off this carrier. So in between the time that they get on the truck and the truck falls into the water, they gotta like grab a bunch of grenades, right? So whoever get they gotta twist these grenades off these posts, and whoever get the most grenades wins. Right. So, you know, I was in suspense, man. I think the other team got six. The other team got six. Y'all came back and they, I don't know if it was for the show or whatever, because I got three here. I got two here. And then she had four. So they had nine. So they won. So you actually won the military fair fact. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and it was very like dramatic, right? Like, like it was very pleasing to the eye. But all it was is you're suspended on a helicopter. It went around the aircraft carrier. It 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 landed, so it was really kind of the skill work of the pilots that made mm. this illusion really cool. But they, you know, we flew around the aircraft carrier a few times, and then they dropped us off. We're still attached to the helo the entire time. They dropped us off on the deck of the aircraft carrier. The truck took off. We had to sprint onto the truck, climb up the ladder, the back of the truck, and then as the truck is moving and before it falls over the side, we had to, you know quickly unscrew all yeah, these grenades crazy. and then hold on to it because then the truck flew off the side and then we were kind of yanked up as um, you know, we came off the truck and still suspended on the helicopter. So it was always scary because everyone was, and we were watching it, right? It's all about lessons learned. They were taking off the grenades and then hooking them one by one. So that slowed down the process. So I was like, man, if you just unscrew and just hold on to it, unscrew, hold on to it, then you're going to have more. They're spending way too much time connecting it to their body mm. and the harness. So again, like part of the lesson learned is you got to be fast and you got to, you know, eliminate all that wasted time. So that's why it was kind of, you know, kind of the suspense of yeah. it all because they never knew how much we had because yeah, it wasn't crazy. attached to our bodies. We're holding it, kind of <laughs> hiding it. How'd you get that opportunity? Yeah. Oh man. Like, so again, like I was on shore duty. Um, my wife, my wife was like, I don't know if I could say this, but like she pimped me out. She was like signing me up for all kinds of shows. Uh, and like I was on a bunch of different shows. Um, you know, I guess I got the look, you know, I'm, again, I'm in the Navy and, and that's all, you know, a look and a, and a story that they want to be able to tell. But when right. I was in San Diego, my wife, you know, when they, every time they do like these military specials, my wife would always sign me up. And then I would get these calls saying, hey, you know, we are from Amazing Race or we're from Fear Factor. And we want to do this second or we want to do this uh, initial interview. I'm like, 
I didn't even sign up for this. <laughs> so then my wife would tell me that she's the one that signed me up uh, for, for all of these different shows. And, you know, once I interviewed with folks, they're just like, yep, we got to have you. Now it's just up to you to go find a partner. Mm-hmm. And it was one of, um, you know, my classmates from the academy. She was a bodybuilder, uh, very mm-hmm. athletic. We went to the prep school together. And, um, you know, we we're an instant match. And I knew that just us being on the team together, uh, we were unstoppable. Yeah. So you just let the command know and the command's like, okay, go ahead, have fun. Hell yeah. So, so th- again, like, um, so I got approved to do this uh, and then I left for department head school. Department head school gave me the time. Um, it was just filmed over three days and I think it was over a weekend. They gave me the opportunity at the time uh, to go do this, this shoot, um, which I'm super thankful. And they knew it was kind of big for the Navy to represent and, mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, help with recruiting. Um, so they gave me an opportunity to do this once in a lifetime thing. So again, my old command, uh, for allowing me to do the interviews and the department head school for allowing me to, to film. And, uh, and it's been nothing but, you know, a great news story for, for the Navy as a whole. Yeah. And then, so. At some point in time, you do you pick up jujitsu, or was it always a part of you? Are you start moonlighting doing jujitsu? When does the jujitsu stuff happen? <laughs> so I was a wrestler, right? I was a, a national um, junior wrestler, um, competed at the national level, and that was like my number one sport. So I was always a one-on-one combative kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after or during department head school. I befriended a a guy who um, was a judo fighter and uh, I always wanted to do something with my wrestling background. So I was post football again, like when you're, not no longer playing football. You can't just go play p- pick up football. You know, in the, <laughs> you know, at, at, at the gym. Yeah. You could do a basketball, but I didn't. I didn't play basketball. So my buddy, he would tell me that he's a part of this um, um, uh, this judo club, and he was asking me if I was interested in going because he knew that I wrestled. And I was like, man, I would love to. Mm-hmm. And I loved the sport of judo because. You know, it's just, it's really quick. If you throw somebody really big, really huge, and then you can end a match just like that. Um, so then I picked up judo and judo is kind of on your feet with big throws, but then there's a lot of the grappling involved with the two. Um, so then I learned a lot of the chokeholds and uh, a lot of the arm bars from my time doing judo. So then I went to command general staff college in army school mm-hmm. the, the, where I did the beat army thing and I joined a fight club. So I never threw hands like I was never like um, officially taught how to box until I went to Fort Leavenworth um, in Kansas and I joined their fighting team and I represented Fort Leavenworth in an all armies combative tournament. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so to this day, I was the only Navy guy to compete. Uh, I got an Army Achievement Medal for for fighting and it was awesome. Uh, I ended up taking third. Uh, I lost to, you know, this, this champion, this national champion that never lost his big Samoan, 315, 320 pounds. Um, and I was, you know, I think I weighed like 210, 215 at the time, but that was the heavyweight. It was like 210 and above, uh, mm. to be heavyweight or 205 and above. And there was no weight limit. So I competed and I did really well. I would throw guys, choke, choke guys out. Um, but then when I faced this big Samoan, it was the first time that you can strike. I think it was, um, open hand strike mm-hmm. and uh, he beat me, but he's never been taken down before. I took him down for the first time, but then he just bench pressed me off. Yeah, he was so yeah, dang strong. Yeah, he laid on top yeah. of me and he, he arm barred me. Yeah. But you know, it was one of those things where I was geo batching. 
Um, you know, I was studying. I don't like to study. I'm not a very, you know, I'm not a, a, a scholarly type. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to pass time, be able to relieve stress by fighting. And so I joined this fight club and I absolutely fell in love with it. Was the, was the department head, so you, and some of this stuff, you know, I keep, you know, I keep hearing department head uh, school, right? Was your first tour the Chang tour? It was my first department head tour, yeah, was tour was the Chang on, I don't know if you guys have been on LSDs and this is prior, prior to midlife. But a Chang on a diesel ship with ox boilers is a beast. Yeah. Like I had an ox boiler that did, you know, with EVAPs. And that's how we got our, 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 our water. Man, that was a beast of a tour. I knew nothing about diesels, um, you know, and you're not getting the love. You know, it's not like a, um, like a gas turbine where something happens, you just replace the gas turbine. Nah, man, you gotta, you gotta change out heads. You gotta yeah, change out crazy. pumps, fuel pumps. It's a lot of work. So that was a tough job for me um, because it was a steep learning curve and the amount of work that we had to do for that, um, for that, that, that department um, was really, really taxing. And, and that's one of the lessons learned too um, that I, that I gained from that tour is like, no one expects you to be the subject matter expert. That's what the freaking chief is for. That's what all these wrench turners are for, but you still got to be present. Mm -hmm. Like, Right before LOA, I think it was, um, like I, I try to assist, but they don't want you down there. They don't want you touching anything. <laughs> but I said, what can I do? One of the EN3 said, hey, sir, if you really want to help, here's a freaking rag and, and go spray the deck plates and make sure they look nice and clean. Mm-hmm. So as a chain, man, I was down on my hands and knees, you know, with some simple green wiping down the deck plates, making sure that screws were in, just cleaning the deck plates. And I was doing my part. I didn't care that I was a freaking, you know, department head, but I wanted to be there for my team. I wanted to be there for Mm -hmm. my family. And, you know, I just gained so much respect from them uh, after that moment um, that they, uh, you know, they, they started to believe in me and they started to believe in kind of the things, the vision that we had for the department. And as tough as it was, it was probably the most rewarding and most memorable and enjoyable tours of my career because, man, engineers freaking grind, man. Like Snipes. if you've never been a snipe, if you've never been down in a plant in a main space and seeing what they do on a daily basis, man, you got to go yeah. down there and, and, and have some sort of appreciation for what those guys do on a daily basis. And, you know, it got to the point where my main job, my main role as the Chang was, you know, on ice cream nights, I would go down and steal buckets of ice cream and just bring it down to the plant. Mm. And they were so appreciative because they could never go up to the mess decks and enjoy, you know, all the, you know, the, the love and the toppings and you know, the stuff <laughs> from the, from the mess decks. They weren't able to enjoy that stuff. But if I was able to bring it down to them, and they can enjoy it, man. They were they were in heaven. Yeah. Now you had a pretty scary moment as a Chang, right? Yeah, it was. Um, it, it, it was a uh, probably you know you talk about crucible moments in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, a the the gang, um, you know, and and the dude telling me it wasn't my day. The second one was when I was, um, you know, we were on deployment. Um, you know, we had. You know, again, we had ox boilers, one in main one, main one in main two. Ox two boiler was always down. Our chief, ENC, uh, at the time, um, it was like his his personal jihad to get this boiler up in operation. He got the boiler up in operation and he was freaking, you know, he did God's work to get this thing up and running. But then he also told the watchstanders and he told everyone else except for the EL and me that if we ever lose fires to this boiler, don't tell anybody, call me, I'll be in the log room, 
call me and we'll get it relit and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll fix it. So sure enough, man, like it was online for less than 24 hours. They lost fires and the boiler op, instead of calling the ER reporting the casualty, he called the chief, the chief runs down there mm-hmm. and they try to relight, relight fires, try to relight fires. And all you're doing is adding fuel to this freaking hot box. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, freaking the boiler explodes. Mm-hmm. And all in there, like I was lifting at the time. And then, you know, you hear the bells and you hear engineering casualty, engineering casualty. I'm like, oh, Jesus, what's going on? And as soon as they said boiler explosion, man, my heart just sunk. And it was probably the worst feeling I've ever experienced in my life in the Navy. Um, and I, I didn't even have time to put on my coveralls. I ran down to main, to main one to, to, to main control. And I said, what the hell happened? And, and then the EI yeah, was like, I don't know. It's just, it, it exploded. So then um, I put on a set of firefighting coveralls. I went down to the space, uh, the chief and the boiler op covered in soot. Um, luckily, they were freaking still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there was this big hole, big explosion. And, um, you know, we had we had some uh, some questions to answer. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, a lot yeah. of people get scared okay. after that. A lot of a lot of mm-hmm. people in the Navy get scared and that changes their career. Like they get fearful. They don't want to take chances. They start to be super strenuous and it starts to limit like the things that they got the freedom to do. And I'm glad that that didn't do that, you know, for you, because, yeah. you know, you might catch a chain now. And it's like, man, we had a time and we had one chief chief engineer who didn't trust civilians doing maintenance. So, so, so all the civilian maintenance that like <laughs> higher authority maintenance, he made us do, <laughs> you know, we try to fight him, you know, cause he, he got scared, you know, but I want to, yeah. I want to move forward to some CO, to, to CO stuff, the stuff that I know my, my devil before we, before I did this, you know, my devil was like, can you get Captain Aloda on the, on your podcast? Like, I will listen to that episode. <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah. like, I hope you listen to, I hope you listen to more, but she's like, I will listen yeah. to that one, you know? So shout out to her because I know it's some of this stuff she want to hear. Um, I always see Proud Swole. I always see Proud Amphib CO whenever I look at your, your Instagram. Do you remember your first day as a CO? Um, so... I, I, I do, but it wasn't very glorious, right? So my first day as a CEO uh, on the USS Comstock, uh, I took over, uh, I gave my speech, and then I gave the crew the day off, right? And it was a Friday, so uh, I gave them, you know, Friday off, um, and I went to work on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I remember just kind of sitting in my cabin thinking to myself, and we're sitting in the yards, um, like, how the heck did I get here? Like, I mean, it was like that imposter syndrome. Like mm-hmm. I fooled a lot of folks to get to this position <laughs> and like, I am not deserving. Uh, I don't belong here. How the hell am I sitting in this seat right now? And it's always been a dream of mine. It's always something like when I was a young ensign, like I had three goals, right? I had like, I wanted my own parking spot. I wanted my own head. I wanted my own seat on the bridge. And once I had all those things, I knew I made it. Mm-hmm. Right. And now finally I'm here. And then I'm like, question, like, what the hell am I doing here? But I think the first time that I realized that I was the CEO was um, on sea trials, the first day that we actually got underway and going through the channel, you know, and, you know, I got my Commodore, you know, doing the check ride with me. And, you know, sure enough, you know, right in the center of the channel, there's this big barge, you know, that, you know, would, you know, that, that was a, uh, 
that would dig, uh, you know, kind of the sand right in the center of the channel. Mm -hmm. And as we're cruising along at 10, 12 knots, um, we can either go right or left. But if we went left, there's another ship, um, a tug and tow that was coming. So then we just, and there was not enough room on the right side to squeeze by. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, the Commodore started like barking. He started like saying all these things. And I was just like, everybody quiet down. Uh, con officers come to all stop. So we went to all stop in the middle of the channel. We just bought us some time. We let tug and tow pass. The barge stayed where it was. Once the tug and tow passed, we, we, uh, we, we put our engines back online, banged to left and then just kind of, you know, went through at that moment, you know, when all the chaos and all the madness, there was one person that had to make that call mm -hmm. and it was the CEO. No one else could make that call. Mm -hmm. And it was at that moment where I told myself, holy smokes, man, I am responsible for all of these sailors. I'm responsible for this million dollar capital warship. I have to be on point every single day. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I remember that moment um, like it was yesterday because there was never a time where, you know, I felt so proud and so humbled by the responsibility of being in charge of that worship. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's deep. <laughs> yeah. I, can, I can only imagine that, that feeling um, so surreal when, and, and when you gave out that command and then it actually, you know, and it was like, you know, yeah. it happened. And so it's just like, Damn. <laughs> I think the best part about it was the Commodore took me aside later and he was like, that was impressive how just, mm. I mean, this is your first underway as a CEO. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you didn't stress out. Like I was stressed out and I showed it and I apologize for showing it, but you remained calm, cool, mm -hmm. collective, and yeah. you showed everyone who was in charge. Mm -hmm. Right. And people feed off of that energy. Like right. if you got a captain up there that is stressing out and you know really anxious, <laughs> yeah. people feed off of that yeah. and right. they feel it. And next, you know, everyone's talking like, oh, my gosh, the captain's worried. Yep. Like, uh, What's going on? Right. But if you got everything under control, at least, you know, hide it, and, you know, and, and at least like <laughs> yeah. show a little bit of confidence, whether you're like, I was burned up inside. Don't get me wrong. Like I was like shaking. But. You know, my outward expression was, we got this. Everybody relax. Just come to all stop. We'll mm -hmm. let it pass. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, just how you represent yourself. Everyone's watching. You got to understand as a CEO, right. everyone's yeah, watching your every move. And if you start to stress out and you overreact to something, it's going to be the talk of the town. And then you're going to mm -hmm. lose some respect. People are going to say like, can you imagine being with that captain during war? Mm -hmm. Like if he's right. stressed out about this one small little situation, imagine mm -hmm. drones and missiles and everything that's happening right now. Imagine what the CEO is going to do when that situation presents itself. Yeah. Yeah. So you got to be very intentional with your outward uh, expressions and emotions, especially when you're up there on the bridge. Yeah. Hey, I forgot about yeah. this. You are, you're the first CEO that we had on here too. So we had Divo, we had department head and you're the first CEO. So that's, yes. Hey, but like, just to get what you're, you're talking about with your, your Divo talking about, like she may watch, like, I implore everybody to watch this podcast, man. Like, you, you guys put out a lot of information. I learned so much just from watching you guys. Like, it needs to be like a, 
you know, you got your mandatory read list, yeah. books, whatever. Like this must be, this has to be like a mandatory listen to because you guys do <laughs> talk about crazy stuff, but you also talk about relevant Navy stuff. Yeah. And that's like so important because folks don't know what the hell is going on. Like right. big Navy, they do all this crazy stuff and all these crazy policies but very rarely does it make it to the deck mm-hmm. plates. And that's what you guys provide the fleet. You guys talk in a real level, you know, where people understand the so what. And and you guys reach a lot more people. So I implore like, J.O.'s, if you're listening to this, man, tell other people. I don't care if you are, you know, 05, 06, department head, whatever, post CO. If you want to get down to business and figure out what the folks are talking about on the deck plates, Listen to this podcast. Thank you, no, man. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Almost, almost thank you. Almost shed a little tear. <laughs> shed a little tear. Uh, I know. So, <laughs> hey, I have two quick questions. One was, hey, what is your big COVID moment? You were the CEO during the COVID time. What's your, oh. big, what's your COVID moment? And then my other question, sir, going to be about, hey, what's your, what's your take on, on diversity? Because I know you got something good for me. Okay. So, y'all remember summer 2020. Uh-huh. I hope you guys remember where you yeah. were summer 2020. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you could talk about COVID, but COVID was the least of our problems, right? I took over July of 2020. I'm in the yards. Mm-hmm. I'm dealing with George Floyd. Mm-hmm. I'm dealing with all the political unrest. I am dealing with the BHR, right? Mm-hmm. So when you talk about crazy moments in a command, imagine July of 2020 when you're you're dealing with people that are wearing masks that are saying all kinds of crazy things. Yeah. You know, George Floyd just happened, um, you know, and nobody's talking about it because everyone's afraid to talk about it. You got this crazy political environment where, you know, like no one wants to step on anybody's toes, but they're thinking certain things. Uh And Oh, by the way, we're behind in the yards. So you can imagine that the morale of the ship was at all time low. Mm. So, COVID, like, COVID was the least of my worries. And I wasn't going to let COVID stop me from achieving our goals. So we took all of that and we developed like a a slogan for our ship. And it was embrace the corner. Like, we're back up against the corner. I got COVID here. I got the yards. I got political and racial unrest. I'm surrounded and I can't get out. The only way to get out is you got to freaking fight. Mm -hmm. You got you, you to gotta take each issue head on, punch it in the throat so that you can at least have some breathing room so that you can operate. Mm-hmm. So we systematically handled each one of those issues. You know, you want to talk about diversity. You want to talk about the racial inequities or the racial unrest that was going on in our country. It was crazy. Everything that was going on um, in that time and on board the ship, it was wild and nobody was talking about it. No one was uh, having conversation. Yeah. But but we were divided and mm-hmm. you could just tell yep. we were divided. So the first thing that I did, I took over on um, a Friday or yeah, on a Friday, I told CMC, good friend of mine, man, like my best brother ever. I said, CMC, Saturday morning, tomorrow morning at 10 hundred, I want 10 people at my door. I don't care who they are, what they look like, but I want them to be the 10 most influential people on board the mm-hmm. ship. And you know, I, I didn't care, um, you know, um, you know what they looked like, what they believed in, but they had to bring some sort of value to um, this discussion. So sure enough, at ten o'clock in the morning, um, I there was ten, you know, 
beautifully dressed people at my house. And I hadn't, I didn't know if they were E1s. I didn't know if they were officers, apartments. I had no idea who they were. All I knew them from was how they introduced themselves, which was by their first name. And we only had 10 because that was like the restriction in the, in an enclosed room. So there's only 10 people. We talked about everything and anything. And it was probably the most substantial conversation that I've ever had um, in a Navy organization. We talked about real stuff. We talked about things that were being talked about on the ship when it came to George Floyd, when it came to um, just racial inequities, period, and how how people felt like they were singled out. Um, we had every conversation in the book and it lasted for about four hours. There was tears, there was laughter, um, but it was stuff that we had to talk about. And from that moment forward, we called ourselves the Unity Council, the Executive Unity Council. And we got together uh, once a month, kind of talk about the issues and then like, what conversation did you have throughout the ship? Because one of the instructions I gave them, their homework was, Hey, don't keep this conversation just with us, right? We have to have this conversation throughout the ship. As uncomfortable as it may be, we need to talk about these issues. Mm -hmm. So from that moment forward, everyone wanted to be a part of this executive unity council, but we had already established a rapport. We already like, it was like me and an E1, all I knew her by was Veronica, mm -hmm. right? And she was calling me Jervy. And that was the kind of rapport that we had. And we were talking about real life issues. So once that spread throughout the ship, I mean, it was like a virus, man. It was like freaking COVID, but as a positive mm -hmm. um, sort of um, virus, they figured out like, man, Cam's like, like real, like he wants to like tackle all these issues. And I mean, it was like, just even things like wearing, um, you know, BLM masks, right? Like if you felt so strongly about something, I wanted you to be able to, you know, to express yourself however you did. And if you didn't like that, well, then you can have the personal responsibility to walk up to him and say, Hey, why are you wearing that mask? I wanted people to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. Right. And then people would like kind of come to me in the side and be like, Hey, why would you allow them to wear a BLM mask and all this other stuff? Like, if you have a problem with it, go ask them why they wear it. Mm -hmm. mm. Ask them what's it, why is it important to you that you wear it on your face? So then we all started having these conversations. We would do walks around uh, the flight deck, you know, where, you know, we don't talk anymore, right? Mm -hmm. In this society, we're always on our phones, we're texting. We would do walks and I would say, find somebody that doesn't look like you walk around for 30 minutes and have a conversation. That's kind of how we tackled that issue. And I would address it. I would always have some sort of story to tell at all hands call. And I did it every Friday, but that's how we single-handedly addressed that situation. And was it perfect? No, but we we started to have conversation and that's what people really want. They just want to be heard. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to voice their opinions and whether you agree with them or not, at least have civil discourse and say, yeah, I get it. But I don't believe in that. So, well, let's just agree to disagree. I'm okay with that conversation too, right? Mm -hmm. But as long as everyone felt like they had a voice, as long as everyone felt like they were heard, I was good with it. And then, so that was, you know, the racial piece of it. Um, like COVID, it was one of these things where, hey, listen, as soon as we get out of the yards and we get out to see where we belong and we kind of create our own little bubble, life is going to be better. Right. I understand. And, and we were like duty section only at the time. And we were um, probably about 25, 20% behind schedule. So I said, listen, I know that you guys are going to hate me for this, but I'm telling you, it's going to pay off in the end. 
Everybody's coming back to work. This is going to be freaking normal working hours. We got to get caught up. We have to get out of the yards on time. We are in this low state of morale because the the yards suck us in. Mm-hmm. Like it is just a negative environment. It's dirty. It's nasty. Parking situation sucks. We have to get our ship out at sea. And then once we're out at sea, the stuff that's still broke, we could fix it ourselves because we're going to be a self-sustaining ship. So we got caught up, you know, and I drove people hard. But once they saw that how much fun we could have going out to sea and doing the things that people were trained to do, man, morale started to flip. It started to switch. Um, you know, so every single issue that, you know, that was kind of the barrier, like we single handedly beat it down, freaking just grinding. And next thing you know, man, like it became one of these things that we are no longer backed in the corner, but we were freaking out in the open ocean, thriving, people smiling, people loving their jobs. Morale was at all time high. So we certainly embraced the corner and fought our way out. Mm-hmm. You, you fleet it up, right? You fleet it up, sir. Not for uh, major command. So major command on the LPD, um, you go right into the job. Okay, so you've never fleeted up. I fleet up on my first on my first ship, the Comstock. Um, the second ship, I went right in. Third ship, I went right in. Okay, so my question about fleet fleeting up is, what's the difference in mindset as you going like? Well, for you, what was the difference in your mindset knowing that I'm going from XO to CO, different responsibility, same ship? Yeah. So. They tell you at school, like, you're not a PCO when you're an XO. Like, when you're fleeing up, you're not the PCO. And you have to treat it as such, right? Like, you are there to do the XO work. You got to grind. You got to be there, uh, you know, 4.30 in the morning, read message traffic, get the day started, ensure everything goes according to schedule um, so that the CO has time to breathe, relax, think big thoughts. I was fortunate enough where my CEO, when I was fleeting up, was an 06 pilot uh, and he was doing his deep draft. So he said, listen, Jervy, you're the first fleet up here. I want you to start shaping the culture, how you want it ran as the XO. Mm-hmm. Man, when he told me that, um, like my wings were like free to fly. And he allowed me to do certain things as, a, as the XO that I would never tell any fleet up to do. Like I would tell all XOs um, that are fleeting up, you know, you need to be kind of the aide to the CO. You need to make sure that he has everything that he needs. You want to make sure that you are managing and and empowering folks to do their jobs so that the CO doesn't have to worry about all these big decisions. The CO's job is to think big thoughts, kick his chair up or his feet up on the chair and dream. Mm -hmm. Give us your thoughts and your dreams and your visions and let us execute. Mm -hmm. But because um, I was the first fleet up on that ship, he allowed me to shape. I was still there for the CO and I still gave him that breathing room and I still made sure that the ship was running according to the POD. But he also allowed me to shape the culture. Mm -hmm. And when I say shape the culture, I'm talking, you know, high energy, positive, encouraging, energizing, you know, giving people an an opportunity to learn and to grow, to have a voice. Like when I talk about a culture, it's like everyone kind of talks about this culture thing, but what kind of culture are you trying to establish on board the ship? So it was very clear to me, the cheese mess and everyone else that was carrying the water what culture, the, the specific type of culture we are trying to create uh, on board the ship. So that guy, um, that 06 gave me that room 
uh, to kind of mold and shape the culture that I wanted to have when I was CEO. So when I moved into the seat, um, it was seamless. It was, uh, it was an easy transition. They understood who I was, what I stood for and, um, and didn't change a thing. Yeah. So I've heard before from people, maybe even some CEOs, like you can't fight the ship schedule. Right. And, um, it's funny because when I'm listening to the story of the Mirtha, when you were there, you showed up during COVID. Y'all were in the yards. The George Floyd um, stuff happened. It was also civil unrest with the January 6th, the insurrection. Y'all yep. had a deployment. You did the the unit toss, which I'm, which I'm going to talk about too at some point. And then y'all had a no-notice inserve at some point too, right? Yeah. And then yep. throughout all of this though, every time I'm seeing the ship, morale is high, the energy is high. There's always some good stuff. Is that is is the mirth of the highlight of your career as a CEO? I think so. Yes, it is the highlight, but I don't want to. Um, I, I don't want to take away from the time on the Comstock on the Harper's Ferry either, because we did the same things. Uh-huh. The only difference was social media, mm-hmm. right? We were doing all the same crazy, wild things on the Comstock and the Harper's Ferry, but I just I couldn't show the world what we were doing because social media didn't exist. Yeah. Um, but. When I was able to use that platform, A, just kind of communicate with friends and family of the ship, and then it kind of just blew up. Um, it, it kind of took um, what we did to a whole nother level. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about our schedule, a uh, ship schedule, and you, you, you can't fight it. Some of it was because we were good. Right. And that's what happens. Like when a ship is good uh, and the ship is materially strong, you get tasked to do all kinds of things. Like we just came back, like we actually did three out of area deployments. We came back from our second out of area deployment and another ship, and I I know you're probably going to get to Unitas. Another ship was supposed to do Unitas, Mm -hmm. which is another three monther, right? But we came back and we were kind of hearing rumblings because our Commodore wrote us um, uh, for this out of area deployment. And she kind of gave us a little rumbling that this ship is not, uh, the ship that's scheduled to Unitas probably isn't going to make it because they're struggling materially. So I wouldn't be surprised if they turned you around because it's strategically important for the Navy and we have to have a ship representing because it was, it was the, um, it was the, the, the command ship for the exercise. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't just have another small ship do it. You needed a ship that had, you know, the room, the capabilities and the comms to be able to be, um, you know, this command ship. So sure enough, man, we came back on a Friday um, and I had to tell the crew that on Monday we were leaving again for another three months. Mm. And um, it was probably one of the hardest things I had to do because we were riding an all-time ho- uh, 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 all-time high. And the crew was excited to be back, mm-hmm. you know, because I was riding them hard and I promised them time with their family. I promised them time off where they can just kind of breathe, recharge their batteries get healthy again. Uh, and then our next thing was going to be like the NASA recovery, which was, you know, a few more, uh, a few months down the road. But then when I got, you know, over the weekend, when they told me we had to go back out, um, it broke my heart. Like, it was like, how do I tell this to the crew? So uh, again, Monday morning, uh, we were sailing in the afternoon. I brought him in for all hands call. And, you know, I was almost in tears. And I said, um, you know, I, I apologize that I'm doing this to you, um, but we've been asked to answer the call again mm-hmm. when another ship couldn't. And, you know, believe me, I am hurting 
Like I am missing my son's senior year of football. I am missing all of my time of my daughter's last year uh, at the Naval Academy. I am missing events in my life too. And I can only imagine what you guys are going through. But believe me, I am hurting. Yeah. But we signed up to do something great, something bigger than ourselves. We signed up to answer the call when our nation needs us. So you know what? I expect, I'm going to give you guys 30 seconds to salt. Then you guys need to freaking snap out of it, fix your faces, and let's go do the things that they want, they need us to do, that they expect us to do. And then when I dropped the mic, I walked out, like it was 30 seconds. And next thing you know, everyone started cheering. Everyone's oh, like wow. clapping their hands and they were freaking ready to go. Yeah. And when you, when I was walking away and I heard that, man, I knew that we had this freaking crew won over. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, it was tough. It was hard. But again, being an empathetic leader, understanding what they're going through and being vulnerable and sharing kind of your thoughts as well. Right. You're going to build some credibility with the crew and they're going to fight for you because they know you're hurting, you're struggling and you're only doing it not because of your own personal glory, but because you, you really don't have any other options because they knew if there were other options, I would have found it. Right. But there just wasn't any other option. Yeah. And you talked about CEOs like having big ideas, right? And, and, and I always yep. think about like Steve Jobs, big ideas, like Steve Jobs just coming into a room like, hey, put 10,000 songs in this and then just, you know, walking out. <laughs> like, like, And then like you got these deliverers of the division, right? And in my, in my world, chiefs are deliverers of these That's visions, my world too. Right? That's my world too. So my question for you is, as a CEO, what's your relationship with the Chiefs? And I know your dad was a CEO. So, I mean, your dad was a Chief. So I know some of that goes into probably the perspective as well. But what's your relationship with the Chiefs, Matt? They're everything to me, right? Every command I've been in, the first group of folks that I talk to is the mess. Mm-hmm. And, and I make it known. I even tell department heads, listen, like, I know that you guys are department heads. You guys think you're, you know, you're, you're, you're big stuff, but no one holds water and no one can carry the water like a chief. And I tell the chiefs and I'm straight up with them. Listen, you know, when I, when I took over the Harper's Ferry, I told them, you guys were a losing organization. And you know why? It's because of you. You all failed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to allow you to fail again. But you know what? At the end of this story, when we are the victors, it's going to be because of you. Right. Mm -hmm. If you have a failing J.O., guess what, chief? It's your fault. (laughs) You're not giving them the opportunities to grow and to learn. You are not giving them the wisdom to be successful. When a division is failing, guess what, chief? It's your fault. When we lose, uh, if we fail a warfare certification, I never have. But if we lose, if we lose and fail a uh, warfare certification, I'm not going to blame you know, the warfare commander, I'm not going to blame the department head. I'm going to blame the chief, mm-hmm. right? Because the chief is a subject matter expert and has the voice from the people in between the lines. Department heads don't, right? Divos don't. The chiefs are the ones that, that have the influence from the junior sailors on the deck plates on up and even to me. So everything rides on the mess for me, mm-hmm. right? And I was raised by a chief petty officer and I've seen how great things can occur when the mess is united, when they speak with one voice and they freaking care and they get after it. Now, when you get a mess that they think that they're all high and mighty and I've never been a part of it, um, but I've seen it where they they think that they could just kind of rest on their laurels, stay in the mess, um, kind of bark out orders and just have the first classes or second classes um, kind of run the division. Mm -hmm. You're never going to win like that. 
I need folks on the deck plates being present, you know, showing that you care. Then folks will not, you know, they won't question from that point forward, you know, the power of the chief. Yeah. Now, as a CO, you also get to lead JOs, or you get to lead and mentor JOs. It, 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 we do it too as chiefs, um, but as for, for us, right, we lead junior enlisted. Leading junior enlisted, you're leading people that are starting at the lowest rank possible in the, in the military perspective, right? They start in E1, right? But as a CO, as an officer, department heads and stuff, you get to lead JOs who kind of come in with like some form of leadership already, right? Um, yeah. and, and my thought process there is I'm assuming this, you know, it's going to be some grooming, but also some humbling as we trying to teach these people how to be future commanding officers and stuff like that. Can you get a little bit into that process for me? Yeah. So for me, and, and I think this is very important that we talk about onboarding, right? Like the moment a person steps on board the ship, how you greet them, how you embrace them as family, it, it, it speaks volumes to how they're going to end up, how they're going to feel pride in being a part of something special, um, and then how they're going to perform. Like if they come on board a ship, you guys all know this, and no one, you know, no one looks out for them. They're kind of left alone, spend all weekend just in their racks, no one to talk to you. That's going to affect their entire time on board that ship because they'll always remember that. Mm -hmm. And I do that for JOs too, right? That first conversation that I have with JOs, I give them my expectations of them as a JO. Like if you're a first tour, my expectation from you off the jump is you are a, a, a learner. Like I don't expect you to do anything but learn, right? I want you to make mistakes. I want you to ask questions. I want you to figure out how to be a division officer, how to be a surface warfare officer. So if you're not going out there and, you know, being vulnerable and asking questions, then you're doing something wrong because there's a lot of questions, right? And you're going to be spinning around, uh, you know, like a chicken with the head cut off and you're not going to know where to go, how to do it, how to do your job, how to drive a ship. You got to ask questions. Your job as a first tour divo is to learn. As a second tour divo, you're a doer at that point. Mm -hmm. You know, you're already qualified. You're kind of the best watch standard because you're just removed from the, the qualification process. You're a doer. As a department head, it's the first opportunity to empower folks. So my expectation as a department head is you're the empower. You got to trust your chiefs. You got to trust your div divos to do, you know, the individual divisions and take care of that because you can't do it all yourself, right? And you, if you start to... Um, you know, learn those micromanaging traits at the department head level, it's only going to increase as you become an XO and a CO. So learn to empower. Your sole job as a department head is to empower. As the XO, you're the manager, right? You got these six, seven, eight department heads. You got to manage their time. You got to manage their workload to ensure that they are commanding their department, right? But still, it's still kind of, it, 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 it jives with the overall schedule. You manage folks as the XO. And as a CO, you're just the dreamer, man. You have these big thoughts. You figure out which direction you want to drive the ship with purpose, with desire, with focus. And then it's up to everyone else to kind of get that bus moving in that direction. So that's the expectation that I give to all all officers, right? Whether you're first tour, second tour, department, EXO, I have this conversation with them. I, I, I talk, I talk to them about goals. I talk to them about command philosophy, but really the key to this conversation is expectations from my perspective, mm -hmm. right? Cause at, at that point, that's all that matters, right? If you come on board as a first tour and you think you outrank a chief and you're trying to order your chief around because you think this is the right way to run division, 
being brand new, being a freaking boot ensign on board a ship, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. And I have that conversation very frankly with the ensigns. You got to be able to have that chief in your hip pocket. You got to be able to feel vulnerable enough, humble enough to ask the chief how to do certain things. Cause I guarantee you, they're not going to be your first, um, your, your first, uh, divo. So you got to be able to have that conversation with them. And once they understand the expectation, um, then, and they're off to go do bigger and better things, asking a lot of questions, then they're set up for success. Most definitely, most definitely. So, sir, so I, I'm, I'm the kind of leader. I'm just, I'm like, hey, lose is not an option. You know, all these things that I hear and I hear you talking about all the time and, I, and I'm kind of in the mold of that, right? So what I like, yeah. to, what I like to know is like, at what point, because I, when, I, when, I, when I think about your career and the things you've done, sir, I think of boldness. You know, like, like the word boldness. I saw, you know, an Instagram clip. You got a horse on board. You know what I mean? You walking around yeah, with a horse on board. So, like, boldness, yeah. you know, uh, to do things like that and say, this is what we going to do. Like, where did that come from? Like, how deep are you digging and where that, that boldness come from? That's crazy. And, I, and, and, and then, like, another thing to add to it, sir, another thing to add to it is that, like, you don't come into the Navy like that. That's got to that's gotta be like created wow. a little bit. They got to be created. Right, right. So again, like you think about one of the goals that I set for the crew is everyone when they leave will have a positive sea story. So I do a, I do a, like a, um, you know, initial interview with the sailor and I talk about, you know, what you want out of life? Uh, how can I help you achieve all that stuff? So all of that stuff, but the exit, um, interview, um, I always ask them, what is your positive sea story? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of our goals for the ship was each sailor before they leave will have a positive sea story. So as I'm doing my exit interview, if they don't have a positive C story, I have failed them. I didn't give them that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So every underway, we had something epic planned, right? It was always something crazy, something that they got excited about. So when they freaking pulled out the pier, they're like, all right, we know we got to grind. We got to do this. But at the end of the day, we're going to have this special event and it's going to be epic. And every underway, we had something planned. And it got to the point where different organizations started to plan it. And I was like, hey, listen, I want you guys to own it. I want you guys to come up with the idea. And the crazier, the better. Right? If I am like questioning it and if it's too much, then you're on the right path. Right? And then so like it was one of those things where I talked to the department heads early on in my, um, in my command tour. And I said, listen, we're going to do something unbelievable. Right. We are going to have a tour uh, like no other. And at the end of the day, at my change of command ceremony, I'm going to walk off or ride off on a horse. And I said that to the department heads early on in my freaking um, command tour and didn't mention it after that. So when I showed up to my com- change of command and I saw that freaking horse, <laughs> how amazing do you think that made me feel? Right? You give it's like you give this command um, order or you got kind of command vision. You don't talk about it, you know, but then it just kind of comes to fruition. Right. That's mm-hmm. when you know you built something special. Right. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the horse is one thing. It signifies how bold and how wild and how crazy we are. But the main message I want to get across to people about that horse is that wasn't me. 
right? It was just a vision that I, it was really kind of just a symbol of the success that we're going to have on board this ship. And it was topped off by actually having this majestic, beautiful horse on my well deck that I'm riding as I'm riding off the ship for the very last time. Now, how epic is that? You talk about a positive sea story. That was my positive sea story. It was having this vision, sharing it, not being real serious about it. But then at the end of the day, after everything we achieved, everything we did together, embracing the corner, fighting our way out people smiling and enjoying and having pride about being a part of the John P. Murtha for us to kind of end it by me riding off on a horse, man, what, uh, what storybook ending was that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. Crazy. And I think that that goes a lot to show the admiration that your crew had and also the infectious uh, leadership that style that you had because, because you thought outside of the box so often it flowed right into the crew, it seems like. And now they're starting to think outside of the box. Because one of my questions I was going to ask you, because I thought all of this was kind of your doing, all the shenanigans that I've seen, I just swore that it was all you doing this. And so one of my questions was, does anyone ever ask you like, sir, can we do that? But it doesn't even sound like <laughs> that's even a thing. They were just like, yeah, let's do this shit. So, <laughs> so it all started sea trials, right? Have you guys, you guys have done a sea trial before? Mm-hmm. Like nothing happens. Like it's contractors. Uh, they just kind of break in the engines and you do a bunch of different tests, to, you know, on the equipment that was worked on during the arts. What kind of sea story can you have from a sea trial? It's only three days. You go out there, you run the engines, and then you come back. You kind of shake off all the rust. Well, one of the tests was uh, we wanted to make sure our ballast system was good, right? So we, we had to ballast to depth, uh, eight feet at the seal, and then we had to de-ballast. And within you know, 30 seconds, or uh, I think it was an hour, you had to de-ballast to zero at the seal. So... When we were out back there, I just want to see how, how long it would take for us to get to a fully ballasted well. If you guys don't know, it's you're on a well deck uh, on an amphib and you fill up. It's like a, we call it the captain's pool, but you would fill up uh, all this water so craft could get in inside, inside and out of the well deck. So I was sitting back there with the inspector and we, made, we met the time to fill up the well deck. And I said, hey, uh, how much of a hurry are you? Um, to get this water out of here. He's like, I have nothing else planned. This is the only, um, this is the only thing on the schedule. I said, do you mind if we take like an hour pause? I want to do something special for the crew. And they're like, no, I don't care. Like, yeah, this is your ship. So I get on the one MC and I talked about, you know, all, all I heard, you know, cause their prior deployment, they didn't have a single swim call. And, um, you know, this was in still in the middle of the winter. It was like January, mid January and water was freaking cold. And I said, Hey, I don't want anyone to complain that they never had a swim call because I'm going to give you an opportunity right here, right now. I'm going to open up the captain's pool and it's going to be open for an hour. I will be the first one to jump in and you can come join me for the fun if you so desire. <laughs> Captain out. And, and then like, they were like, is he serious? So I walked back to the well deck. You know, I went back to my corner and I jumped in and it was like, this dude is freaking wild. And the next you know, I had like 40... And maybe not 40, maybe about 30 people because it was freezing cold and they didn't bring bathing suits or nothing, but they all jumped in there with me and we just freaking had a blast. And then from that moment forward, they're like, all right, this captain is for real. Like he is not joking. Like 
he's a risk taker. Like he, he understands risks, but he's willing to mitigate risks and assume all the risks. Um, but at the end of the day, he's here for us so that we can have something to tell our kids, you know, when we leave the service or leave the ship. Right. So then that, that moment forward, um, I planned like the next two and, uh, it was wild. There were like wild events. And then next thing you know, I, I put it to the cheese mess. I was like, listen, I want you guys to have the next event and I want you to plan something and they got to get better, like progressively better. Cause if you did something that was old and something we've already done, then they're going to be like, Oh yeah, we already did that. I'm talking something epic where they're going to be like excited about. I had a, um, a BM two that said, Hey sir, can we swing off the crane, uh, off the boat deck, you know, just, you know, hang off the crane, put a little uh, line attached to it and swing off, you know, over the ship. I was like, oh, that was a tough one because the drop is so far, yeah. right? The drop is so far. And I was like, well, what if we attach it to a side port and we still kind of swung and you know, use our momentum while we're underway to swing ourselves off? And we did that too. So like a lot of these ideas, I mean, it's, it was, I think it started off as, man, this is wild. The captain will never agree, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, the crazier the idea, the more I was like, and man, if we pull this off, this would be something epic that would be talked about, you know, not just today, but for the rest of their lives, they'll be able to tell their friends and their homies and their family and their kids. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the chief's idea was to do club two, six. Like, I don't know if you guys saw that. That was the yeah. So again, it was the EMC on board the ship that figured out Shout how to out do to the all EMC. the lights right? <laughs> like in the hangar, you know, and it was to the music. And I mean, all these LEDs, they had a smoke machine. We had beer or not beer pong, but pong, you know, for, and it was uh, with uh, zero alcohol drinks. Uh, so all the junior sailors were playing, uh, you know, beer pong. Uh, you know, the first classes were running the, uh, the, the alcohol station and making money off of that. The chiefs had their own little uh, cigar lounge, you know, on the mm-hmm. flight deck. The DJ, man, they set it all up. And it was Club 2-6, man. And it was just one of the most epic things um, that I've ever experienced. And, like, there was a lot of people that showed up. Like, you would think, like, mandatory fun. You yeah. know, I'm standing a watch. I don't got time or energy for this. Nah, man, it was well-received. And people came out there and had a great old time. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to awesome. a few. I've been to a few Steel Beach picnics, and let me tell you, they they were nothing like that. <laughs> I went and got my burger, and then I went back to my office. Yeah. I never stuck around. So if it was that, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and- yeah, so we had a still beach every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And the purpose for that was to give the CSs some time off, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that they complained to me about early on with just in talking with them is like they never have a day off. Like they understood their mission. They understood that the overall morale of the ship was based on them, right? Mm-hmm. Like if they were eating good, people were feeling good about themselves, but they just needed a break. So I said, okay. What if I gave you guys a break every Sunday and, you know, some organization, cheese mess, wardroom, first class petty association, you name it. We owned the, the still beach picnic and it was from lunch till dinner, right? So that we stayed out there the entire time. They were all about it. And then so we made it kind of routine. And even during Com 2X, we we're like, hey, listen, it's a no fly uh, uh, day today because we we're going to do uh, a still beach picnic. 
And I wanted people to be out there, A, to get some vitamin D, um, mm-hmm. listen to some good music, but just feel human. Like they're mm-hmm. grinding freaking six days a week, nonstop, you know, drills at night. Cause I ran them hard, but they knew that on Sundays, man, we were chilling, we were partying, we we're having a good old time. And they wanted to stay out there, man. We had to kick people off. I mean, it was getting <laughs> to the point where it was getting dark. You know, they were still line dancing. They're still playing their cornhole. I was like, Hey man, like this is it. Stop, you know, get back in because this is dangerous now. Yeah. But that's how it was. They looked forward to their still beach picnics. Um, mm-hmm. The CSs looked forward to their time off. And they just, everyone looked forward to just kind of hanging out, feeling like human beings in their civilian clothes, mm-hmm. feeling like, man, this is a good, um, good break to have because now on Monday, we're ready to get after it again. Yeah. Right. And it's another side so to you- this, right? It's another side, sorry, Teach, but it's another side to this, right? Um, I think about like, Places like Chick-fil-A, like this amazing place with all this amazing food and this uh, this yep. culture where everybody says my pleasure and it's super fun. But I, I got this like thought in my head that if you like mess up one fry order at Chick-fil-A, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> they take you out back, they break your legs and you're done, right? You got to hold people accountable to maintain that level of success and, and keep that culture. How do you take on the task of holding people accountable? So again, like your, your, your example of Chick-fil-A, right? So every organization was in charge and there was a schedule, right? Of who's in charge of the still beach picnics. And if the chiefs didn't come correct with their food, then they would know, right? Because the first classes, the officers, cause we competed in everything and it was a friendly kind of competition. But if the chiefs like didn't cook their food, right. And you know, then they would know about it. And then they would come back the next time they had it and come more correct. If the first classes, you know, didn't have their chicken cooked all the way, they would know about it, right? So everyone had their A game when it was their turn because they knew that if they didn't come correct and bring their A game, that they were going to hear about it. And it was like friendly banter. It was a healthy competition, but everybody wanted to outdo each other um, and to be the best because that was the culture on board our ship. Yeah. Like we were, we, we, we were competitors. We wanted to have the best product. Uh, we wanted to represent each organization, um, you know, to the best, uh, you know, possible. So if they didn't bring it, then they were going to hear about it because we certainly gave them riff if, if, if they didn't have their A game for whatever thing that they were doing. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm talking about more on an actual disciplinary level, like sellers, like outside of these events and all of that stuff, like real, a seller getting in trouble out in town, uh, somebody not holding up. I know you had to fire a chief before. I know that, right? It took his anger. So like, and that's the disciplinary piece I'm talking about. Like, because what's captain's mask for Captain Aloda? So, so captain's mask for me is probably the worst duty of a commanding officer Mm -hmm. um, because it takes so much energy, right? I do all my research because the last thing I want to do is take away liberty, take away money, take take away livelihood from somebody, right? I'm dealing with fathers and mothers, you know, children where I am taking, if, 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 if it matches the crime, I am taking away their ability to take care of their families. So I understand that we're not a zero defect Navy, right? Mm-hmm. Like we make mistakes. I've certainly made a lot of mistakes, but it is up to me to get through to a kid that made a stupid mistake and to change them and hopefully they could turn it around. So I use those opportunities to try to be a life changer to that person. So 
I know you guys all watch Scared Straight. Mm -hmm. That is me uh, during mm -hmm. NJPs. Like, I wear red coveralls. I curse. Like, I never curse. But my one, you know, the time that I give myself permission to curse is during Captain's Mask. And if you talk to anyone that's been in any of my Captain's Mask, man, I am foaming at the mouth. I am spitting. I'm breaking <laughs> Ooh, podiums. Man. I'm in their face. Like, I'm, like, threatening to fight them where I got MAs holding me back. <laughs> I want it to be a life-changing experience for that sailor. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I knew at the end of the day, if they made a stupid mistake, I am going to get in their head and scare them freaking scared straight, right? Mm -hmm. So that they don't make that mistake. And I'm going to, you know, probably hammer them, but suspend everything because that was kind of my forte. But if you came and saw me a second time, you're done. That's a pattern of, 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 of misconduct. You're done with me. I'm going to kick you out of the Navy. And people understood that. So I am not a zero defect mentality. I understand people make mistakes. I'm going to hammer you, get in your face, curse at you, make you feel like dirt. But hopefully that changes your perspective and hopefully it helps you understand that, man, me making that decision, me taking that shortcut, it's not worth it. Right. Mm -hmm. And if I can affect a sailor and give them a second chance and, and hopefully I'll never see them ever again in that setting in their dress blues or dress whites with the flag behind me, then I've won. Yeah. If I see them again, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm saying, I already gave you a warning. Uh, you said F you captain and you just blew me off. I'm done. I'm not even going to waste any more time on you. Yeah. And that's where I draw the line. But that first one, I mean, it, it's really a show. Um, but like I, I, I have some techniques that I use that I, I like if, if I don't have that sailor crying, I have failed. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and I, mean, yeah. I would imagine that that would be easy though, because I'm sure that everyone looks at you as either their superhero or their dad. <laughs> yeah. So it's like when you make that person who, you know, you call your crew family. I saw one post where um, you said, I love you. And that's something that we don't often hear. I don't know if I've ever heard a CO say that to anyone in their crew before. And so to ha have someone who you respect, you admire, um, you all, you want to emulate and then you disappoint them. And it, now you the, see them. Yeah. yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> like, it's the worst. It right? It's the worst. And that's the problem that I have with Captain's Mass because when I see this young person in front of me or senior person in front of me, they're all my kids. Mm -hmm. Right? So, yeah, you let us down. You let me down, right? But hopefully we can learn from this mistake. I'm going to tell you why I'm disappointed. I'm going to tell you how you let me down. I'm going to tell you because I love you, you know, how you jacked up. But I'm also at the end of it, after you've broken down and you're in your tears and snot bubbles and all that stuff, mm -hmm. I'm going to lift you back up and I'm going to make sure that we work on this together to ensure that it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I invest so much energy. Like people always know, like after my captain's mass, the captain's going to go in his cabin. He's going to shut the door for about two hours. Nobody call him. Nobody bother him. Because he's going to need this two hours to decompress. That's how emotionally invested I am in Captain's Mass. And they all know that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and, and I think it's time worth spent, right? Like you have to invest. Like if you really truly love something or someone, you're going to invest your time in them. And I don't care if you are a deck seaman that, you know, drank too much, got behind a wheel and you got in a car accident. Like, I am still going to invest time in yeah. you and I'm going to mm -hmm. still tell you that I care about you, that I love you. You made this mistake. Now it's really up to you how you bounce back. Mm 
right? This is not the end of your career unless you choose to make it the end of your career. Now, if you choose, you know, to kind of bounce back, I am in your corner and I'm going to support you and be your biggest advocate. But if you continue to make these destructive behaviors uh, and choices, then you're going to die, you know, on, 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 your, on your own throne. And I'm not going to be there to witness it, right? I'm just going to say, I'm done with you. You go off, you get out of the Navy, we'll accept you. Uh, and then I'm not going to follow uh, or, 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 or keep up with you. That's extreme. I probably wouldn't do that because I still keep in touch with folks that I've kicked out of the Navy just to make sure that they're good, mm-hmm. make sure that they have a plan. Um, and if there's any way that I can help them out with job opportunities, I still do that. Yeah. Right. Everyone is my kid. Like just because you made a stupid mistake and I kick you to the curb doesn't mean I don't love you anymore. It doesn't mean that I still look at you as my loved one or my child. I am still going to invest time in you. It's just, I have more important things to focus on the people that want to be on board this bus that wants to be a part of this family and this team um, that I need to invest my time in. Yeah. Now on the other side of captain's mash, you got the bag of balls, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So can, yeah. can you talk about this bag of balls? Yes, man. I love it. it. This started, I think it was on the Comstock, um, but it really kind of, it took a whole nother level. My CMC on the Harper's Ferry, he was like, man, I got this, uh, this, uh, um, crown bag, you know, the, the green crown Royal <laughs> yeah. bag. He was like, hey, I'm going to put it. I said, first of all, why do you have a, 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 a crown bag in your cabin anyways? And then, so we took it to a whole another level. And then we got to the mirth and it was a khaki crown bag. Um, but it was one of these things where I'm all about appreciating and recognizing sailors. Mm-hmm. Like my thing, when I tell folks, like you have to appreciate sailors more than you think and then double it. And that's how I want people to think about um, appreciating and recognizing your sailor. And it could be something as simple as when I was XO the Comstock, I asked the captain if I can, if he would, if, if he would allow me to grant somebody a 96. He's like, yeah, but for what reason? I said, it's a surprise. So I would do my heads in beds, right? And I would walk around and I would like talk about people's racks. And I would say, man, this is a freaking awesome rack, man. How much time did you spend on this? And the person, you know, if they weren't there, I'd call them. Like I like summon them on the one MC, you know, so-and-so to go to your birthing. And I said, you do this rack? Like how much time did you spend on this? She's a ruler. Like how are your sheets so crisp? And then, you know, I walk around and, you know, and if someone had a terrible rack, you know, I would like get on them, make them feel Mm -hmm. bad about not spending any time, like having no like self-respect, you know, you're sleeping this thing. How dare, you know, you leave uh, the birthing, leaving your rack looking like this. And then at all hands call when the captain's talking, he would give me an opportunity to kind of say my piece. And then I would make an announcement that the person that had the best rack, you know, for my heads and beds would get a 96 hour. Mm. So just, being able to recognize people in the smallest things. And then guess what? My next has in beds, everybody was standing next to a rack. It's like, XO, did you see this one? Did you see this one? Did you see that it's six inches and 12 inches here? Did you see this hospital corner? So they took pride in it, right? Mm-hmm. Because somebody got recognized for something that's an ordinary task, a daily routine, but because somebody took the time and you know they didn't care that it was getting inspected. All they cared about was, this is how they felt after they woke up and they wanted to come to this nicely made rack at the end of the day after all their hard work. Mm-hmm. He didn't care about 96 hour. He didn't care that or he didn't have any clue that this was going to get a uh, reward in that, in that fashion. So when I did that, it kind of changed everybody's perspective. And now everyone's competing to who had the best rack. So 
that that's kind of what started that. And then we we're just wait, thinking of create more creative ways of how to recognize folks. So, you know, instead of, you know, giving spot names, whatever, like all people really want is time off, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Some want to pat the back. Some want, um, you know, uh, time off. Some want, you know, hey, how are you feeling today? Do you want, like, what, what are you craving? Like, you're working your ass off. You want, let's go to the ship store and you can get whatever you want and I'll get you whatever you want because I see that you're grinding. Man, that changes their entire perspective. Like, holy smokes, like, A, he's the captain and he recognizes that I'm working my butt off and he knew me by my name. Mm-hmm. That's freaking unbelievable. So, you know, the long story short, to the bag of balls, it was just like a fun way of, you know, when you start having a group of people that do phenomenal things, you start to run out of things to give, right? <laughs> uh, ways to recognize them. So we just came up with bag of balls, you know, bunch of just kind of like, there's no winner here, but I mean, there's no loser. Like you bunch of, bunch of balls, ping pong balls, all the white ones were like uh 24 hour. And then you had specialty, specialty balls. And it was like green for the XO. And if you got a green ball, then you would get a 48 hour. If you got uh, the CMC's color was um, whatever it was, I think it was blue. If the if you got a, a blue ball, then you would get a 72. And then if you got a purple ball, which was me, then you had a 96. And there was only like two of those in there. And then if you got an orange ball, it was a duty day off. So everyone embraced the bag of balls. So every time like we brought people up that did a phenomenal job and I would say bag of balls, everybody would just like repeat that bag of balls. And then it was like this thing, like they would reach in the bag and if they pulled out a white one, they're like all disappointed. Like, woo. But, like that's still 24 yeah, that's hours. 24. Right. right. Come on. Right. That's the right. time yeah. off. I love it. I love it. I love it. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It was. I mean, it was great for the crew to see, and yeah. it was a, like this dramatic thing for the people that um, did something special mm-hmm. that they were getting recognized. Like I would say, I would talk about why they were up there, why they are, why they have the opportunity to pick from the bag of balls, and then it was great because if I had like a division, and I would say LPO. Who do you want to pick from the bag of balls? They would either pick the person that was most influential for that specific task, or they would pick the most junior, right? And then when the junior person would come out and get like a purple ball, and they would all just like pick them up and embrace them, and they had a celebration within the celebration because that junior sailor now gave that entire division a 96 because he picked the purple ball. So there's just wow. a lot of life lessons that could be had, ways that, you know, that you can you know, recognize folks in creative ways that kind of spice things up. Mm-hmm. You got to think outside the box. Like, you know, just having a standard all hands call, recognize them, you know, give them a certificate, whatever, and then say your piece about liberty and, you know, make good choices and then break them off. Come on, man. That's all like, no one wants to want, no one wants to be out there when it's like that. But if they know that something wild is about to happen, cause Captain always has something up his sleeve and he's always like, A, he's in a different outfit. B, like he always has something wild to say. And three, he's going to do something crazy to recognize us. What is that going to be? They all look forward to it. And mm-hmm. like my all hands calls used to be like, you know, you know, people hide out, right? People hide out in all hands calls. Not everyone comes. <laughs> but people would like try to get off watch just to see what the captain had to say and do wow. during the all hands call. That's yeah. how impressive. And that's how our culture was. Like we all wanted to hear the news, hear what's going on and see all the goodness that the ship is doing. And they were like, um, you know, finding ways to get out of watch, get out of duty so that they could be a part of the all hands. call. Yeah. Now in wow. shifting this culture, right. We, in shifting cultures and impacting cultures, we talked about 
We already talked about the Chiefs mess. I'm not going to talk too much about department heads here, but I do want to talk about cohesive triad, right? Because that that got to be important because it's this not something that you're doing your own. So you got your XO and so you got CMC somewhere on the deck place making things kind of happen. How important is it for you to have that cohesive triad? It's everything, right? Like you can't get your message out um, and you can't have the disciples that you need to carry the water if the if the triad is split, right? Yeah. So I, I talk about... Um, you know, the first group that I talked to is the cheese mess, but every day I'm talking to the triad, right? I'm talking about, um, you know, what things are we going to get ourselves into? How are we going to build this winning mindset? What is detracting from us achieving our goals? Who are these negative vampires that exist? How do we deal with these negative vampires? Uh, how do we get, you know, these folks that are the naysayers that are toxic? Um, how do we get them so that either we try to, influence them and have that one-on-one conversation with them to change their minds. Um, and if that doesn't work, how do we get them off the ship? So we're always talking strategy. My CMC, like I said, again, my very best friend to this day, um, we golfed every Wednesday and it didn't mm-hmm. matter what was going on, but we spent the first half of our day every Wednesday golfing. And yeah, it was an opportunity, um, you know, to hit the links, whatever. But the main purpose of golfing every Wednesday was to just, bond, right? Just to have a conversation about what's going on in your life. How can I help you? And him in turn doing that to me because, you know, they say it's lonely up top. It kind of is. But Mm -hmm. when you have somebody that you can confide in and just talk life, you don't even have to talk shop. Talk about, you know, how's your wife? How is Sin doing? You know, what, you know, what are you getting her for Valentine's Day? Um, You know, what, what are your, what are you guys going to do this weekend? Or she'll tell me like, man, I pissed her off today. I did this. I said this. I'm like, well, what can I do to help you, you know, to make amends? Like we're always having that conversation and it's good to have somebody, you know, to kind of just lean on, put your head on their shoulders, knowing that they always, always have your back. And not only to tell you the good stuff, but also to say, hey, Cam, man, that was a little too wild. Like I'm, I'm with you, but <laughs> that, that, that was a little too wild. Even for me, we gotta, we gotta calm that down a little bit. And he wasn't afraid to tell me that, right? Like, so CMC was just my sounding board to give me, um, you know, that level of guidance, um, you know, just that, that, uh, that advice that I needed, right? Like, I don't want to, I don't want a yes, man. I don't want somebody that's going to say, wow, that's an awesome idea, sir. Uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. No, I mm-hmm. want someone to say, that's going to be epic, but if it fails, then it's probably going to cost you your job. Are you ready to take that risk? <laughs> right. <laughs> right? And, and then the CMC, like, he was really good. He's like, hey, I, I know that's going to take your job. I love you too much that I'm not going to allow you to do that. I'm like, all right. Like, I understand because you allowed me to do a lot of things. If you say you're not going to allow me to do this, it's probably one that's way too, uh, too risque. And then we just had that bond, right? The XO was the same way. Like, the XO understood me. Uh, from jump and I hand selected him because we worked at a certain, uh, a, a different command prior to that. Uh, he was disappointed that he didn't get command right away. So I said, don't worry about it, man. Like you will work for me and you will get all the tools that you need to be successful. A, get command. Uh, and then once you're in command, uh, you'll, you'll get the tools to be successful. And man, he's thriving right now, man. He's doing great things, uh, on the, on the Fitz, uh, Fitzgerald. Nice. So us three being together. 
united uh, on one, you know, one sheet of music, being able to have the same sort of energy and mm-hmm. same message uh, to the mess, to the wardroom, uh, to the crew is absolutely vital. Mm. Yeah, for sure. So I was just about to say while you were talking just now and you were talking about how the C, uh, the, the XO and the CMC would kind of calm you down a little bit. I was thinking in my head, I can only imagine the ESG3 Jag. You probably stressed her <laughs> the hell out. <laughs> so, so, so funny thing about the ESG3 Jag like it was never about destructive behaviors, right? Right. We, we never had any issues. Like we significant, significantly uh, decreased our number of um, uh, SIs, uh, destructive behaviors because they had purpose, right? Our sailors mm. had purpose. They wanted to be a part mm. of the ship. They wanted to be a part of something special. So they behaved themselves and they knew that they couldn't act a fool um, if they wanted to be a part of this. What they had issues with, uh, with us is like we had, guest speakers that were like prominent, you know, that they were getting paid thousands of dollars to do guest speeches at, right? They wanted to come on board our ship just as a, as, as, as a gift to the crew to kind of get their message out. One promoting a product, they just wanted to motivate our crew because of all the things that we were doing. I mean, we had issues with companies that wanted to feed our crew steaks, you know, just like five-star steaks. steaks. What's that? Was that the Omaha steaks? Well, it was something like the Omaha steaks, but they were like, they normally feed like, um, like, football teams and basketball teams, high level stakes. They wanted to come on board and provide free stakes to our crew. I think I saw all the posts about still beach picnics. They're like, we want to do something for you guys. (laughs) Jag didn't let us do that. Um, (laughs) It was just wild. It almost got to the point where I remember that I was at um, surf pack at the time. (laughs) Oh yeah. So it was wild. Um, You know, even like the horses, we had to get that blessed. Right. And um, that, that was something, you know, that, the JAG is, you know, an absolute um, uh, a tool and an asset to have. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, sometimes they can get in the way. But I know that your sole mission in life is to keep me uh, keep me um, uh, employed. So I appreciate that. And uh, sometimes it's not what I want to hear, but I know that you're not doing it because you guys are energy vampires. It's because you guys want us to keep our jobs. <laughs> Go ahead, Damon. No, I, I didn't have a question. I was just trying to add because you. I don't know if you were so much your last XO, but when I came on a um, on a Mirtha, your XO was my. He was my. His I was his uh, LPO on his first ship. He was my repo. Mm. Were you talking about uh, Rob Floyd? Or you talking yeah, about Jason Larson? For Floyd. Oh yeah. yeah. So again, it was one of those guys. Um, he was working at Purs. He saw what we were doing. He was like, "I got to get to that ship." So you know, when you're at Purs, you could select any ship or any yeah. command you want. So he was one of those made men that hand selected the Mirtha, and I was so lucky to have him too because he's one of those guys that believed. He believed in what we were trying to accomplish. He believed in the culture. He believed in the energy, um, and uh, he was the right man to follow up. You know, another legend in Jason Larson. So. Yeah, I've been extremely blessed to have two outstanding individuals um, that believed in what we are trying to do a little bit outside the box. Um, but, you know, I think in our culture, especially with some of the old hats, you know, they, they're always about the mission, right? We are a military mm-hmm. professional uh, organization that needs to get the mission done because we have to answer the call. But my perspective is if, is if you just take care of the people, 
you give them everything that they need, they will take care of the mission. The mission will happen. Like you have a lot of talented, skilled professionals that are trained on their specific job. They're not going to let you down if they feel like they're cared about. Right. So when I talk about leadership, to me, it's a partnership. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't care who you are. You could be Dex Seaman. I need to give you everything you need, Dex Seaman, to be successful, to achieve whatever it is you want out of life. And guess what I'll get in return? Somebody who's going to work their ass for me and for the ship. And when Mm -hmm. you get a 450 sailors that are doing things for each other because they know other people are doing things for them. Man, it is just this beautiful thing that's happening. And then you're like, we, we never fail to sell. We are never late. We never missed a task. We never failed a certification. You know, you talk about the insert, the no notice insert. Before that, we had two ready sixes. So how mm. many times do Bosa mates have to break out the chains, got to break out all the rubber duckies? How many times do engineers have to do all their tests? I mean, it's, it's painful and it, it, and it's hard on the mission. When you're trying to set up for the next task, you still got to break everything out just so that you can have another inspection. We didn't complain because there was, we knew that there was no way around it, but then it just became a, we're going to do the best. We're going to have the best score for any LPD out there, even with all these employments, even with all these, you know, different tasks that you guys are slamming uh, in our face, we're still going to show you that, you know, you're not going to stop us and we're going to prove that we are the best and mm-hmm. the numbers don't lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you talk about getting out the way a lot. I hear you say that a lot. How important is that just to get out the way after you, you know, put somebody to charge? So it's about being humble, right? Like I know that I am the senior person on board that ship, but if everyone thinks that I have all the answers, if they think that, you know, my solution is the best, then we are, we are in a whole heap of trouble. Cause I, I'm a humble dude, right? And I know that I am not the smartest tool in the shed, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not the brightest candle, but you know what? I stay lit. I may not be bright, but I stay lit you know, for a <laughs> long period of time. But I know that there are special people out there that think differently, that yeah. are the experts in what they do, right? So if I am able to kind of get out of the way, empower them with their thoughts and their actions, then not only are we having a better solution, but then now they feel empowered, you know, to have more solutions, to have a bigger voice because, oh my gosh, like I am a, I am a a E5 and the captain's allowing me to have a say in this major decision. Holy smokes, man, this is awesome. I am not just some number or some, you know, peon that is just grinding away. They actually value what I have to say. They're allowing me to learn and to grow and to be a part of, you know, this organization, um, you know, just to make it better. Like when people feel that way, um, you know, it's, it's just unimaginable, you know, how much they can add uh, to an already just wonderful organization. Yeah. How open are people when it comes to talking about their failures uh, with you? So I, I asked that question because uh, you you win a lot, right? Just from just from my visibility, yeah. you, you win a lot. I had a granddad like that and I've seen people like that. Early on in my career, I was kind of like that. I got a lot of recognition and I caught myself because I saw like, I noticed like some of my sellers, my junior sellers wouldn't want to tell me about like the times they messed up or things they did wrong or if they didn't pass like the East Watch test because they never saw me like, 
lose. So they like, I don't want to, you know, so it was a barrier. So I, I kind of recalibrated myself and figured out, you know, some ways to fix that. But with you, how open are people like, and I mean, even family, you know, we haven't yeah. asked the family question yet, but even family, like how open are people when it come to a hey, dad or, Hey, captain, I fell, I messed up. You know, are they, yeah. are they reserved? Or are they normally open when it comes to sharing that stuff? So I like to think that they're open book with me and they're not afraid to tell me. I'm sure that before they step into the room, you know, they got to, they got to build the courage. But I tell folks like this whole winning thing, right? Like I'm about winning, winning every day. Mm -hmm. But I also understand that. I played Navy football. Like we didn't always win. Like <laughs> I've taken my fair share of L's, right? And it's not about like always winning, always getting more points than the other team, right? You have to understand that there's no one that always wins. There's people that always strive to win. And that's, those are the people that are going to be great. But they also understand that when they do take that L, they got to pick themselves up, understand where they made their mistakes and ensure that they don't make those same mistakes twice. So people come to me and they tell me their failures because then we analyze it. We say, all right, how did we fail? What mistakes did you make? Mm -hmm. How are we going to avoid that mistake again? And I also tell folks like, I love, I love seeing people's reactions when they fail, right? Because it says a lot about someone because yeah. if they fail and they're okay with it, it's like, yeah, whatever. It's just, uh, just a loss. I don't do well with that, right? But if they say, God, man, I lost, I took an L, but I refuse to let it bother me. I refuse to take this L again. I hate this feeling and I'm not going to let this, um, I'm not going to let this experience bring us down, right? I am going to be better. I'm going to do better to ensure that we win, that I win and we win as an organization. So I love when that happens, right? I have department still to this day will call me and say, Cam, I, I don't think I won today. Like, I, I, I think I took a big L and this is why. And then we say, we talk about it, right? We're like, hey, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. Like, it, it is what it is. And now it depends on how you pick yourself up and move on with your life that it's going to determine whether or not you're going to be successful. If you're going to sit there and sulk and feel sorry for yourself, then, then that's your choice and you're just going to be a loser all your life, right? And when we talk about ship selection, right? I had the opportunity to blue chip sailors and the blue chip program is if they come um, on your ship during a summer cruise and you really like that person, you can give them a blue chip and say, you are guaranteed a spot on my ship uh, mm -hmm. during ship selection. You know what I look for in sailors? To be honest with you, like uh, this, this, this may be unfair, but I look for athletes. Not because I was one, but I know that athletes, they know how to deal with adversity. I know how... Mm -hmm. How, how they prepare in life, right? I know that they can, uh, they could devise a game plan and stick to it. I know that, you know, if, 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 if they've suffered some sort of adversity in their life, they know how to pick themselves up. I've had sailors or officers that have come on board my ship, top officers in their class, never failed before. Then they get up on the bridge. They went right when they should have went left and we let them know. And they understand that there was probably, it could have cost them some lives if we didn't react in time. Mm -hmm. They crumble and they're never the same, right? Because they never handled adversity. They never experienced a loss before. So I look for people that know how to handle adversity, that are resilient people, you know, that have dealt with losses in their life, um, but still continue to pick themselves up and make them better. That's kind of the people that I look for. And, you know, 
when they are ashamed that they, they took a loss, that's okay, right? Mm-hmm. I never like it when I take a loss. I still take L's to this day and I never like it, but I have to be able to get better, right? And I need to be able to share that loss with somebody so they can help me figure out how can we avoid that same mistake again? You got any book recommendations in like about leadership or any source material for leadership insights? Yeah, I, so I've read a book early in my life, um, a book by the name of... Um, the Energy Bus by John Gordon. I don't know if you guys ever read it, but it's something that I always gift um, my department heads, uh, my CMC and department LCPOs. Uh, it's called The Energy Bus. And it's a quick read. It's really kind of hokey and corny in nature, but it really talks about the power of positive energy. And mm-hmm. it, it talks about a guy um, that experienced some some setbacks in life, but he goes on board this bus and they go through like these different scenarios and rules about how to live your life and how it can, you know, just one little change in attitude can really affect, you know, the overall outcome of, uh, of, of your life. So I think, you know, if everyone reads and I've had a lot of people, they've read, they've read it in a day, in two days, but they come back and they'll say, man, now I understand why you bring so much energy every day. Now I understand why you're so positive, why you're never stressed. Like I'm mm. way too blessed to feel stressed. And I've learned that from that book, right? The and if, if you could just change your mentality and, 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 and understand that all people want out of leaders is high energy that's positive, that enthuses, that energizes, they will go and fight to the ends of the earth with you as long as you continue to bring that positive energy and show that you care and you love them. And I've, mm-hmm. and I've kind of learned all, all of that through that book. Why is it important to explain the why, sir? It, so the why is the foundation of... So it's funny, right? Like this generation is different. They always ask why. Back in the day, when I was a young ensign, when my senior chief told me to do something, I didn't question, I just did it, right? Because the senior chief told me to do something. And that's just how junior sailors were too, right? You tell them to do something, they didn't question it. But this generation is different with social media and with everything else. They always have to know why, right? They are empowered to ask, why are you telling me to do this, right? But it is our responsibility as leaders to spend the extra seconds to explain the why. Like, why do we have to clean the bilge? Like, just clean the bilge, you know, undez firemen. How long will it take to explain to undez firemen that in order to have a safe environment, you know, to get rid of all the flammable, you know, stuff that can burn up an engine room off the decks in order to preserve, you know, the steel, you know, from rusting out to, you know, that'll potentially create, you know, holes on the, on the, the heel of the ship or the hull of the ship. Then you got to wipe it. You need wipers. You need to keep it clean. You got to just remove all the flammable liquids from the bilge because there's a lot of heat. That took me what twenty five seconds. Like, yeah. why as leaders can't we spend the twenty five seconds to explain the why to these junior folks? Mm-hmm. Now, if the undes fireman says, "Man, that makes a lot of sense. I thought you were just having me do busy work because I had nothing else to do." Mm-hmm. Guess mm-hmm. what? Now he's going to do with a little bit more energy. You know, and understanding that, man, I got to get every drop of oil, every drop of fuel out of this bilge because I don't want this shit blowing up. They do it with a little more purpose and passion because they understand why they're doing it. That could be said for anything that people do, right? I I have a problem with leaders that say, because I said so. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not the day and age for people, you know, to make it that easy and that lazy just to say, you see this? You see my, you know, these, mm-hmm. th- these eagles? 
because I said so. Mm-hmm. Like we are not in that sort of navy anymore. It takes 25 seconds or less to explain the why. We as leaders owe that to our sailors to be able to spend that time and that energy so that you get a better product out of them. So all of your crew who's been inspired by you, you have created many Gurvies. <laughs> little mini me's yeah. also the sailors who are watching your social media I know we're going to get into social media later but they're watching your social media page and they're like if if the navy if if my navy looked like that then I would want to stay in and then they have to leave and go back to well they're going to PCS from your ship they're going to go to their next duty station or that other sailor that's online is going to go back to their ship that may not have that same environment. How can any sailor, no matter how junior, how can they bring that piece of infectious leadership and the, you know, the, the going above and beyond the motivation, um, the camaraderie that you've created? How can the very most junior sailor take that to their command and then try to create something there? Exactly that. Like they need to understand that it's possible, right? And mm-hmm. But when I do crazy things that are for the sailors, it gives other people permission to do the same things, right? People want to feel loved. They want to feel cared about. They want to have fun doing their jobs. They just don't want to grind, right? So when I tell junior sailors, and, and, and I hear this a lot when now I've, I'm spoiled. Now, you know, after I experience this, I got to go to a ship that's nothing like this. What I tell them is get in positions mm-hmm. of power so that you can change the culture. Right? What's stopping you? Like when I was a young ensign and I was on a male, all male ship, the energy sucked, the culture sucked. I changed that ship by, by just infecting one division, right? My division, the one thing that I can control, right? And then all the other divisions within the department saw how much fun we were having. They're like, well, we want to compete with those guys. We want to have as much fun. They're laughing. They're enjoying themselves. And oh, by the way, they're kicking butt in their certifications as well. We want to have that same thing. So then within our department, we started having competitions, you know, football games, softball games, tug of war, you name it. Next, you know, all the other divisions saw how our department was, all the other departments saw how much fun and how much, you know, camaraderie we're experiencing amongst our department. Now, you know, we're infecting the entire ship, right? You could do that. Like there are ways that one person can control what they can control and it'll have huge impacts. But for that junior sailor, if they think like all hope is lost because they're in a new environment or because, you know, the new CEOs change out, whatever, you've already got the tools. You've already experienced what it can be like. Now get in positions of power, get in positions of influence and make the changes, make a difference so that your your sailors that are subordinate to you can experience that same sort of fun and excitement and, and winning, right? It's, it's, it's entirely possible. We've seen it. The, you know, the, the results are there, right? The proof's in the pudding. Now it's up to people who understand it's not just going out there and having fun. Like it's not just going out there having so beach picnic and, you know, having a club two six. There's mm-hmm. way more to that, right? It's about having a winning organization that thinks about winning first and then implementing that to everything else that you do in life. You freaking work hard and you party like pirates. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like, I want them thinking, right? You win on a daily basis. You win in war fighting. You win in, um, 
you know, and, and, and the task at hand. And then at the, at, at the end of the day, you celebrate, celebrate hard. You know, that, mm. that whole thing with the, with the sexy, uh, reference, <laughs> I came on board the ship on the Mirtha and I gave them one thing, right? My guidance to you is make us the sexiest ship on the waterfront, sexy in how we look, sexy in how we sail, sexy, how we fight. However you guys want to interpret that. I want that to happen. And they took it their own certain way. Like deck, they understood <laughs> what was important to me. We wanted to look sexy, right? <laughs> for navigation, for the engineers, Sexy and how we sail, that means we're out at sea on time, right? I always had, for every underway, I had a 0800 underway time scheduled. And I told ops, every time we get underway, it has to be at 08. You know why? Because if we're standing on the ship saluting for colors, we were late. And that was no bueno for me. And they were going to have it. Whoever fault it was, they were going to have it. And really, it's kind of the ship's fault. And I wouldn't be a happy skipper, right? That's why I need something measurable. Like when we are going past the pier and everyone else is standing at attention, saluting and, and watching us as we're sailing by them. That's what I wanted, right? I refuse to be late anytime we sail. I refuse to not get underway when we we're scheduled to, to sail. And then, and how we fight, like we had to be ready to push the button if we had to. We had to be ready to position ourselves to deploy the Marines when called upon. Mm-hmm. Sexy is a term I want people to interpret however they want, but they have to understand that that's exactly my mindset. And that was my expectation for the entire ship. Now people have brought that to a whole nother level. It's on their different ships and their different commands. And, and, and I welcome that. That's awesome. That's great. That's as a, as a leader, I, I don't care about personal accolades. I don't care about awards or rankings. I care about seeing other people promoting and other people, you know, getting better and, 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 and seeing people that are uplifted. That's how I measure my success. And when I see Jason Larson doing awesome things on the Fitzgerald, uh, when I see, uh, Tychicus Turner, you know, on his carrier doing awesome things, that's when I know that I've, been a, a big enough influence and I'm, and, and I'm winning. That's how I measure success as a leader from my personal standpoint. Mm, yeah. All right. Let's get into social media for a little bit, right? So yes. for the, yeah. For the listeners, um, strategically placed, we ain't talked about social media that much. Yet. That's strategically placed, <laughs> right? We talked about leadership. We talked about like things of that nature because social media is really just like conduit for all of this stuff. It, it, it's not, it's not the thing that should be formally kind of introduced into the conversation. So, and I believe that yes, social media, the, the Instagram started during COVID as a way to communicate with the command, right? It's that's how it started. So again, like I told you during COVID in the yards, we weren't meeting regularly, right? It was duty section only. Uh, I didn't have the opportunity to do all hands calls. And when I did, they were all masked up. I couldn't see what they looked like. I couldn't, I, I wanted them to see my energy. Like I'm a very mm-hmm. energetic guy. I wanted to see, I wanted them to see my passion as I'm talking to them and how much I love them, and how much I cherish them and adore them. But we weren't able to do that, right? Because we're masked up, we're six feet apart. So I started, um, so I had this conversation with a HM3 at the time at the, um, uh, in the barge on the Mestex. And I was just having a conversation with her and I was telling her my frustrations with not being able, um, cause she was eating. And I was like, man, I didn't have no idea that's what you looked like. And she was like, yeah, it's crazy. Like COVID's wild like that. And I was like, yeah, it's weird. Like I'm used to being able to see people and huddle them up and kind of share my, my path, you know, my, my positive energy with them. And she said, sir, have you ever thought about social media? 
And I was like, I, I don't do social media. I'm not a big believer. And he was like, well, if you really want to get to the masses, if you really want to talk to the crew, we're all on, on social media. She's like, do you have your phone? I was like, yeah. So she took my phone and she created an Instagram account for me. She was like, what do you want me to call it? And she was just like, uh, how about, um, uh, I, I forgot. I forgot what my original was. It was like, it was John, like P. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, like John P. Murtha. It was like CEO John P. Murtha. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. CEO USS John P. Murtha. And she did all of that. And then she was like, "All right, now say something." So it was very awkward. I was just <laughs> like, uh, "Hello, family. Uh, I just want to introduce myself. I am the CEO of the ship. Uh, I want you to know that I care about you, and I want you to do great things." Captain out. It was very awkward. Very short. <laughs> she hits send, and I was like, "Oh, what did we just do?" And the next thing you know, I'm like looking at it and I just started to like views, like one view, two views, three views. And then it was like, it maxed out like at eight. Cause that's how like I had eight followers because it was like, that's how it was at the time. And, um, and then, so every day, every time I was feeling something, every time I wanted to like tell the crew something that I couldn't because they weren't there, I would just mm-hmm. jump on and say something to the crew. And part of the, the POD would say, have my handle, right? Like join social media, mm. follow the CEO uh, on, on this. And next thing you know, I had like 60 followers. And I was like telling my daughter, man, I'm like viral. Like, <laughs> like I'm a bit, basically verified. I got close to a hundred. Look at me. And so that was like the running joke. Uh, and every time that I was just like think of something, uh, even at, at home, you know, I would just always just kind of post something, say something inspirational. I thought it was inspirational at the time uh, to the crew. And then I started going around and, you know, one of these things that um, like sailors amaze me, right? They all have all these hidden talents. And when I'm sitting mm-hmm. at the mess decks and I'm talking to them, there's always this talent that, 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 that surprises the crap out of me. So I was like, hey, do you mind being on my social media? And so all of a sudden, like we did a Murtha's Got Talent and I would just walk around and I would say, what's your talent? And I would film them and they would do all kinds of crazy things, singing, dancing, you know, making veins pop out of their heads, uh, guitar, whatever. They were doing all kinds of crazy things. And then, so people would start coming to me and say, hey, sir, I got a talent and I really want you to put this on your social media for folks to see. So then that was a thing. And then I started, you know, the viewership started to kind of blow up a little bit. I had like 120 at the time. So I was like, yes, that freaking verified. <laughs> and then, um, then we got out to sea and then it was just crazy because I would just show, you know, the cool rates. Uh, and then I would send, um, oh, and then, uh, parents would yeah. DM me and say, uh, I haven't seen my child in like months. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know if they're still alive. Can you just verify that he's on your ship or she's on your ship and she's still alive? And then, so I would go even further and I would say, Hey, I just got a mom request from so and so, and she wants to make sure that son's alive. Are you that son? And then so we would just oh, have this wow. little thing going on, <laughs> and I did like two of them. And next, you know, I got like hundreds of requests from moms <laughs> and parents and aunts and uncles and best friends saying, "I want to see my kid." Wow! And then it was like hard work for me because I don't have like an assistant. I'm not someone that runs my social media, and so I would go and answer every single request and go find that person while they're on watch or whatever. And just do that quick little, you know, five second clip on say hi to your mom. Do you love her? Okay. Tell you love her. And just like funny stuff like that. Um, and that was just a way for families to connect with uh, their sailors that they haven't seen forever. And there's also a way for 
um, you know, the public to see all the great things that we're doing because a lot of the things that the sailors do go unnoticed, right? right? Mm-hmm. Folks down in the engine room go unnoticed. Folks in the galley go unnoticed, not appreciated, not recognized. But when they are able to see, um, you know, families were able to see their young son, daughter working their tails off, you know, grinding down in the pit, man, it just, it, it brought warmth to their heart and knowing that, all right, that he's doing something special. Um, I know he doesn't talk to us very often, but we know that he's taken care of and he's doing something special uh, for his Navy and for his country. So then that just kind of just blew up and then it just kind of, um, you know, it just got more and more followers. And uh, I just felt like there was a bigger purpose for my platform. And that was really to showcase uh, all the wonderful things that our sailors and our Navy was doing. Yeah. And that connection between the family, uh, first of all, I think it's really cool. It's a graduation from the letter from the CO. Hey, this is how we doing on deployment. This was happening. It's a graduation from that. And I think it's, Mm -hmm. I think it's much needed, a much needed way to connect people a little better than, you know, than what we used to. The other part that you was talking about as far as letting people see how things are going, I also think that's much needed because a lot of times on social media, we see a lot of the criticals, even like some of our clips and stuff. But a lot of times on social media, you see the more critical side of being in a military mm-hmm. or you see like some of the negative content. Like that, these are the things that grow legs, like the things that people don't like, the things that people critical of. So that like to every time I jump on Instagram, I see your page and it's something inspirational that's going to motivate me to get after it. And that's so important nowadays, you know, because mm-hmm. that doesn't only connect your command with like you and your command that connects your command with every single seller on a fleet. And some of this, some of these things that you're showing, nobody's like, it's still like, like unveiling things that nobody saw before. You know, like people don't just see right. uh, sellers around the ship, you know, singing and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and it's twofold, right? Like, um, when I first started doing it, nobody was doing ships, right? And so it was this this thing that they don't like. Big Navy didn't know if it was good, if it was bad. <laughs> are we like, are we like on borderline of um, you know classified information and all that other stuff? And they didn't know how to feel about it, right? So when they saw that it was all positive and people were digging it. And they're just like, all right, we need ships to start doing this right now. Like there are ships that are, um, that they are ordered or they're like recommended to start your Instagram page, start telling your story because guess what? We're having a recruiting problem, right? We're in a recruiting Mm -hmm. crisis and who's on social media. It's all these young folks that don't know what to do with their lives. So, Yeah, there are a lot of negative um, handles out there that showcase the terrible things that the military uh, is doing and how out of regs we are. But if we can mask that and outnumber them with all the positives, people are going to look and say, man, I want to be a part of that. I want to see that. And not only will people start to see and appreciate what we do as a service, but they'll also want to join and be a part of that story. Right. So like there are certain, you know, kind of agendas that I have with it. Um, I've been asked to do um, more with my social media as far as, you know, kind of helping with recruiting efforts. Um, Unfortunately, I work in a mountain where it's like super secret and I can't bring my phone in. So it's really, it's really hard for me to, you know, to create content. But, you know, every time I I go out and I do fleet weeks or I do things like, um, you know, ship selection at the academy, I try to use my platform, um, A, to tell, the good news story 
And then B, um, try to recruit more talent into our organization because, you know, we can't survive another year like we just had as far as numbers are concerned. We got to get better. We got to get more quality people. When I look in your comments, I see a lot of sailors saying like, sir, I want to come to your ship or I would love to come to your ship. How does that make you feel when you have people in a Navy where a lot of people is not really glorified going to ships and a lot of people don't really like it or, you know, and how does it make you feel to see that there are sailors who are eager to come to your ship, not just a ship, but your ship? Yeah. So the first part of that question, I feel bad. Like, I feel like I am leading them on because I'm no longer on that ship. So I'm like, <laughs> they, they're going to go to the John P. Martha and then they're going to see that it's not me. It's some other dude. And they're going to be like highly disappointed. But then the fact that they want to come to a ship, you know, uh, an amphib, um, and do something special that always warms my heart. Like anytime that I can have some sort of positive influence in people and it shows in their comments, you know, it, it, it always feels good. And I know, uh, Dami, you said, you know, that I don't read comments. There are certain times when I just kind of sit when I have nothing to do and read comments. Mm-hmm. Right. And there are times when it gets to me, I'm like, man, does he have any idea, you know, what I've done in my life, all the sacrifices that I've made to get to this level? And you got, there's some joker who doesn't understand that I've commanded three ships. I look at who you are and you haven't done anything with your life. Mm-hmm. So who are you to, cons- you know, to criticize me and what I'm doing on my social media? Like, and then I get back to, you know, to, to a grounded level. And I said, like, I'm not going to waste my time with you. It's all good. Like, I know that you guys deal with the same things and you guys are trying to do something positive, but there are way yeah. too many haters out there. Right. And like, I just don't, like I am bigger than that. And like, I really want to use it, like, especially with the people that are critical, I want to use it as an opportunity to, you know, help them have a better mindset to what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. I know that I can't reach the 99, right. Or I reached a hundred. If I can get to 95, I'm good, mm-hmm. but there's always going to be there, those naysayers. And I'm going to, attempt to reach out to them by having cordial conversation and just letting them know, Hey man, like if you just understand what we go through on a daily basis, maybe Mm -hmm. it'll change your, your perspective or, you know, our Navy is a little bit different than when you were in the Navy. So thank you for your 10 years of service in the early nineties when nothing was going on. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that, but things have changed a little bit and we're dealing with a lot more, uh, maybe, you know, it's, it's different. Um, but it's still significant issues that are dealing with the mental health of our sailors. So agree to disagree, man, but it, it's just a way different um, organization, a way a different service than what you remember. Right. I'm just talking you know, yeah. by example for all the graybeards that try to jump on. <laughs> yeah, they, and, they, and they do. They definitely they, do. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. But for every graybeard that's jumping out there, I like the way you call them the graybeards. For every graybeard that's jumping out there, I also see sailors that are sailors civilians, whoever, who love your content, who are going after those gray beards and shutting them down. So you don't even have to, you have your own gang. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I've, and I've, you know, I've realized that on my specific post, I have some naysayers, but I don't have nearly as many haters as like us navies or, you know, my Navy. <laughs> my There's a lot of haters out there. Like I feel like they're just out there to yeah. bash the Navy. I, I think because, you know, they see captain behind mm-hmm. mine and they see that we're trying to do some good, um, yeah. that they try to stay, you know, somewhat positive. Uh, that's a, I'd like to think, but there are some like evil people that, yeah. you know, you just have a picture of, 
you know, a girl doing something. And all of a sudden it's like this woke Navy that, you know, that, you know, we've, we've gotten weaker and softer allowing females to do this. I'm like, bro, like, come on. Like we are a different Navy and don't you know who's leading us right now? Don't you know that we have some freaking fierce warriors that are able to do unbelievable things and it doesn't matter if they are a male or female, but they're kicking ass and we're like better off because they're in leadership positions. Mm -hmm. Like they don't understand it. Like this whole, um, you know, I, I try to avoid saying it, but like this, the, this, this claim that we're like this woke Navy absolutely like baffles me. Like I don't understand where they come across and where, where they come up with these claims. Like it just doesn't like add up to me. Yeah. They like, Hey, we not going to win a war. We not going to win a war I, like this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Absolutely. China's going to win this time. <laughs> like, that's how you feel about our country. So I got, so I already kind of noticed from these different um, things I kind of saw you talking on is that, and, and everybody always asks you this question. And it, the question is always, did anybody ever try to reel you in or tell you what you was doing? And I, I normally hear you say you never really got any, you know, negative feedback there. Right. And that's all true. Right. You never really got negative feedback from anybody from what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Early, early on, I didn't. Um, and then when people started to catch on uh, and started to follow like some of my mentors, mm-hmm. I, I would hear some things. Right. Um, there was those three specific posts that I had to change. Well, two that I had to change One I left alone. Um, but one of my mentors, um, Admiral type, um, didn't like the post when I was talking about department heads and I told him, you know, that, you know, the reason why we're having retention problems in our junior officers, which we do is because department heads aren't leading, right? They are, um, you know, micromanaging. They're not allowing you know, their junior officers, um, to run their division and command their division and, and thrive. Mm-hmm. And, but I used other words, like, like I talked, I told department heads to stop sucking. Mm-hmm. Like, and, <laughs> and I was really upset because my daughter is a, um, a brand new ensign mm-hmm. and her department head, like treated her like dirt, like just run her through the ground. She's a great ensign, a great surface warfare officer, but you know what happens when people are great? You just add more tasks yeah. and mm-hmm. keep them there longer. Yeah. So she was just super tired and she was just like, I can't believe this department did this to me and that to me. And then, so I was just like, man, and this was after, um, you know, the, the, the study was done with junior officers and how they're all getting out and leaving the workforce. And a big cause of that based on the survey that was done with junior officers is their department head leadership was not very good. Yeah. They sucked. And so my post was, you know, stop sucking, basically. So he he gave me a call and he was like, hey, uh, I love what you're doing on social media, but you can't be hard on department heads. Like, you were way too hard on them. I was like, sir, but you know me. Like, I, I'm a straight shooter. Mm-hmm. I, I, if they suck, they suck. And I'm going to tell them. Right? But I also told them how to be better. I, I told them that you got to love them. You got to appreciate them. You got to care about them. You know, and you got to, you know, train them to replace you one day. And uh, so he that was one issue. The, the other one was I did a post during uh, chief season. And uh, one of the, and, you know, that's my favorite part of the year, you know, just being a part of chief season. I always get invited and, and, and I love it. But there was one particular scene where the chiefs were, were singing the Space Force song, right? And because they had yeah. a Space Force guardian, a part of the season. Mm-hmm. And so they were there singing 
um, the, the Guardian song. And I just thought it was great because it showed that they were brothers and sisters, didn't matter what service. Mm-hmm. And you had a Space Force Guardian wanting to, you know, kind of participate in the traditions of the Navy chief and do something special there. <clears throat> so uh, I had a, a mass chief told me that, you know, he, they didn't want to see chief singing the Guardian song. So that was mm-hmm. another. So I took that off. Wow. Um, we always then, sing uh, each other songs, though. Through the right, we yeah, But it also had to do with what they were wearing. They were wearing, like, the blue blueberries and tennis shoes. Oh, okay. And they were just, like, it was, yeah, so it was one of those things. <laughs> um, so, that, but his main concern was them singing the Guardian song. But I understand the other stuff. <laughs> and then the last one was, um, I don't know, it was a recent post where it said, have you ever seen an 06 slap an E5 and, oh, yeah, and yeah, not get fired? Yeah. And so, <laughs> that was what, so what an admiral said, uh, I understand what you're trying to say. Just the caption is it very, uh, you know, very smart. I think we can say it in a very, uh, very different way where it gets the point across. And I was like, yes, ma'am. Uh, and then I, right away, I changed the caption. I was struggling with that caption too. Oh, yeah. I thought it was funny. I thought it was catchy. Uh, but, you know, again, it's like that clickbait, you know, you want to see that. Like, oh, what is this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I was just hyping them up. And so those are like the three really main clips. Everything else, everyone's been good with. Um, if anything, I've heard nothing but praise. Um, they keep saying, do what you do. And I've heard, you know, US Navy, they reached out to me and asked if they can use some of my stuff just for, uh, recruiting purposes. And I said, man, my, it, it, it's an open door, an open platform, whatever you guys want to use. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm not doing it for views or likes, uh, followers. I j- I'm doing it for the Navy. I'm doing it, um, to kind of spread our, our, our word. So, um, you know, it's, it, it's been a, a good platform from my perspective and I've heard nothing but positive feedback from it. Yeah. And yeah. coming off just that one thought, cause, uh, you don't like being called an influencer, right? I don't, I don't, either. No. I don't think, I don't think any of us do. And we were just, I was, we were called influencers the other day when we was recording with Force. He's like, yeah, you guys, you know, you influencers. I'm like, oh. <laughs> 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 which is funny because before social media, I looked at myself as an influencer, uh-huh. right? Because that's my, that was my primary job. I was to influence, to inspire and motivate. That's what I want to do. But then when the influencer thing came, <laughs> I didn't like that label anymore, yeah. right? Because now influencers were people doing stupid stuff on TikTok and yep. Instagram just to get, you know, views. And, and it was like wild stuff, dangerous stuff. And I was like, man, I'm not, that's not what I'm trying to do, right? I want to influence and inspire young folks to want to, you know, be better, to do unbelievable things to help our, our service in our country. And if that's labeled influencer, then, then, then so be it. Yeah. And um, I don't know if you guys heard of the Navy Digital Ambassador Program. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So then I was one of the first Navy digital ambassadors mm-hmm. and I was honored, you know, to be selected for that. Um, and we were making like great strides, man. Like we were doing some unbelievable things, but then like it got out to the media and, you know, specifically, you know, uh, a, a couple people that, you know, that the Navy like hired mm-hmm. to be Navy yeah. digital ambassadors and the program just kind of fell apart. But I thought we were like, the idea was right. I mean, we, we were trying to reach a different demographic and I thought it was very strategically, you know, well done. Um, but we lost the narrative, um, when it blew you know, up a lot of naysayers mm-hmm. and 
and and and folks started complaining about it. Yeah, I think the Navy need to stick to having digital ambassadors. And uh, and and the thing about like anything you do on social media, right? And I'm I'm still learning this, right? So I'm still growing with this because I'm one of them in person kind of people. Like, yo, we could talk about this in person. But the the thing that I'm learning with social media is no matter what you're gonna do, like not everybody's gonna like it, right? So uh, mm-hmm. even yeah. with the Navy, when it comes to what we doing and recruiting, no matter what we do, what decision we make. Not everybody's going to like it. And that shouldn't be the focus. The focus should be connecting with whoever it is you intended to connect with for the reason why you did onboard that person, you know, and bring them on. And I saw that with your page. Like, like y'all were talking about earlier. I looked in the, com- I don't look at the comments much because like things don't affect me in that way. But I, I looked at one of your comments. It was something you were doing. And like, I saw negative comments and I'm like, yo, people got negative comments about like this. Like, I'm like, yo, people like, and, and that, like me reading negative comments on your content, made me kind of, it helped me in receiving negative commentary and whatever it is. That, I'm like, okay, so it don't matter what we do. It's, it's going to be some negativity there, right? They out there, bro. Yeah. They out there. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they sure are. And you have just have to have the expectation that like if your goal is to reach 100, you're going to fail, right? You're not yeah. going to meet that expectation. But if your expectation is to meet a majority and maybe even, you know, 80% is high for me. Mm-hmm. Like that's still doing a service to our, our community, right. right? Cause there's always going to be naysayers and I'm good with it. And what, what like warms my heart the most is when there are naysayers and negative comments, but then there are people that jump on them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's the best yeah. when people jump on them and say, you know, and, and, yeah. and start like just ganging up on them. That's, that, yeah. that's always the best Hilarious. part of that, you know, the, the negative comments. I just saw it happen on one of our posts and I was like, get them, get them. I don't got to say that, get them. And then another thing with comments, exactly. right? And I ain't going to hang here too long. Another thing with the comments is a lot of times the people that got a negative thought are the ones that comment. Like your post could have 200,000 likes and 300 comments and you'll see like the 40 negative comments in that post. And people, we just kind of program to kind of like hone in on to the, the negativity. But my quick mm-hmm. question is this, why is it Captain Jervy and not Captain Aloda? Man, so that's a great question. So <laughs> to be honest with you, it went from CEO USS John P. Murtha to I'm no longer the CEO. So babe, Wifey, what is another catchy name that I can use? Right. Uh-huh. And um, I think it's just because my name is so unique and mm-hmm. I'm, I am Jervy. Like, I, that's who I am. Uh-huh. Right. And it just says a lot about me as an individual. It's a unique name for a unique person. So, I mean, I know there's not too many Alotas in the world, but um, I, I, I just thought, you know, from a personal level, uh, and a person of bull level to have my first name out there. Um, it, it just says I'm more of a Jervy than an Aloda. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, I, I, I don't think I put too much thought into it. I just thought it was more unique and more catchy in that yeah. sense. Okay. So these, these great things happen. Social media happens. Things, and you, you touched on it already, but I want to. Touch- hey, wait, can I just, the, like, something was on my mind when you're talking about the negative comments and the only people that comment negatively or people that, generally comment are the negative people. Uh-huh. It's just like a Deoc survey, right? Like <laughs> you have people that fill out Deoc surveys and all that, you know, the only people that fill them out, like the 26, 30% that do, and this is like the ones that I haven't been a part of, are the naysayers, the ones that have something to say just to bash somebody. Right? If you have no issues, you're not filling it out, right? So then like with some of the commands that I've had in recent past, I've had 
like higher numbers and they've been mostly positive. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a few of the naysayers, but I really encourage folks, like if you like what's going on, you got to say it, right? Because yeah. I don't want the folks that, um, that are the negative people to drown out mm-hmm. all the goodness that we're doing. So mm-hmm. I just want to make that correlation. You know, when you said all the negative comments are just, or all the comments are just from negative people, that's just like the Deox survey, yeah. man. Well, yeah. I mean, you kind of tug my heartstrings as a former Simeo now. Um, <laughs> that's right. the truth, y'all. Like the it positive is. stuff, it has to go in there because when we pulling out, and I said it before, and I ain't been a Simeo for a while, but we pulling out trends, right? So mm-hmm. if I got 30 people and they all got something negative or 20 of these 30 got something negative, that kind of becomes this trend that probably doesn't even actually exist. But we pulling from the smallest pool, like quantifying from the smallest pool possible. So I, I, I honestly, as a Simeo, former Simeo, I think everybody should do this uh, survey so we could get the yeah. perfect picture of the command. I know it had never happened and stuff like that, but if we don't, because a lot of, and I say that for the sellers that wonder why like things don't change or things don't improve or get fixed. A lot of times, the picture that you have at a command, it's not kind of splattered along that survey. It's just a couple people creating like a few small little things. And then we do the focus groups and then they don't trend out of the fo- focus group. So we, all of that stuff kind of fall by the wayside, right? And I know a lot yeah. of sellers think it's BS and like, no, that's not, like I'm telling y'all, like the more y'all do it, the more y'all get in there, the more we could develop and we could quantify the actual trends. Okay. Yeah. Like if we just, as leaders, tell them, like, just spend some time and write something positive. Like yeah. if, if there's somebody that did something positive in your life um, that has influenced you to be better, like write about that, right? Because the CEO, the CMC, everyone, you know, the triad, they're all going to read every single comment. And when they see somebody's mm-hmm. name on there, you know, in a positive light, like we highlight that and we're like, mm-hmm. and every time there's something positive for like a junior sailor or anybody, I always go to that person. I was like, Hey man, like you're making a difference. Mm-hmm. Someone called you out in a positive manner. Keep doing what you're doing because that doesn't happen very often. So when it does, it's like, let's celebrate that. Yeah. So you, you amass, you know, this following, I don't know if it's over. I think it's like about 150,000 or something like that followers, something like that. Right. But you amass this. 170. Come on, man. Give me some credit. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. I thought you was going to be like, yeah, it is. It's a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but so you get 170,000 and, and, and all of this is, you know, happening at this command. You want to ship, you showing people how things work. Then you go to a yeah, <laughs> killing me. Killing me. Yeah, you got it. But I mean, but I'm, I'm a, I assume y'all still doing amazing, amazing things. Still having fun. Still got a lot of stuff going on, right? Um, and that's, that's yeah. And I still, I, I still dress in different uniforms. Mm-hmm. I got, I got my Space Force uniform that's uh, with the Navy tags on it. So like, I'm, I'm still me. I still do my thing, and I just, I kind of treat it like when I was on the Comstock when there was no social media, because it's not for, you know, followers. Yeah. It's for. Um, or new viewers, it's for the people that are standing to watch. It's for people within our organization that um, are so blessed to have the opportunity to do this amazing mission in protecting our world and our and our country. Um, and like I just had an all hands call today because I, I got something tomorrow. Um, and um, you know, just being able to thank folks and recognize them. Uh, and one of the things that I've done with this group that I'm falling in love with is I give everybody an opportunity um, to you know, spend five, 10 minutes and talk about a leadership lesson. 
And today it was given by an OS2. So I got 50 in my command, very small, um, but it's, it's a family, right? And I had an OS2 today give that leadership speech. And you know what he talked about? He played a video of his mom mm. and he talked about how his mom inspired him. She's like, um, you know, a single mom raised two kids, an FBI interrogator doing unbelievable things, but she, she kind of broke the, 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 the glass barrier and he just kind of balled up in tears just in praise of his mom. And I was like, man, I've never had anybody give a leadership lesson and talk about their mom and just, you know, just sing her praises. And, um, it was like a life touching moment for me. Um, because, you know, we all think of leadership in different ways and, you know, people want to use, you know, historical, you know, you know, battles and, you know, mm-hmm. historical leaders. We got heroes and, and leaders that we admire in our own, you know, household. So let's take the, you know, the, 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 the time to recognize, you know, the influential people in our, in our house or in, in our lives that are doing unbelievable things. And someone like him just to come out out of left field, you know, just to surprise us all. And I think the whole watch floor was like in tears because he was so proud of what his mom was doing. But just like, I just wanted to share that with you because we are doing things different. We continue to do things different. And I, I'm in a joint world where I got guardians, you know, uh, uh, Air Force folks, Marines, soldiers, mm-hmm. um, Canadians, and they see the different ways to do a leadership um, kind of symposium or all hands call. And they love it. They're all about it. They're excited about it. Uh, and they've all bought in. So it's like kind of taking this brand and sharing it with the rest of the joint force. And we may be small, but it's pretty dang influential and hopefully they're able to take it off to their services uh, and we can make significant change in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard you say, write things down, right? And somewhere you were talking, it's just random. Yeah. You just like write things down. It was super random. It came out. And, and, and me, I th- that's super important, you know, for me, uh, because I, I think it's becoming a lost art. Like I think a lot of, and it's just based off my own visual from what I see day to day. I think a lot of sellers I talk to, they want to make you feel like they just gonna remember everything you say. You know, like, hey, you, you just mm-hmm. you just pull something out, write it down, or you see people start writing on their hand, you know, and stuff like that. But like, what like what makes you feel like that's still important? That art of like writing things down. Yeah. So uh, I, I think I know what you're talking about. And, you know, I have a lot of young ensigns that ask, all right, so what advice do you have on our first day of the job? Uh, what, what, what should we do? And I said, you need to be prepared for your first day of quarters. Like you need to look good in uniform. You need to show up on time. You need to have a pen and paper and you need to write things down because there are going to be things that are going to be said at quarters. And if you just sit there and you just kind of nod your head, like they're all going to be staring at you. Right. So when they see you and they're watching you and they see you writing something down, they're going to be like, Oh man, he cares. Like this is important stuff to him. And he cares so much, um, cares enough about it that he's writing it down. And I think that's extremely important because it's not the fact that you're writing it down for your memory. It's the fact that everyone's watching you and it shows that you care and that yeah. you're you know, that you're focused and you're, you're, you know, you're engaged. Just a simple act of, you know, you writing something on a piece. And I said, if you, if you don't even know what they're talking about, like it's, a, you know, an acronym soup when you first show up, you're not going to even know what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Just pretend you're writing something down, right? But the perception that you care is going to speak volumes, right? Right. Yeah. And then 
at the same time, like when it's your turn to speak, Divo, like it doesn't, you don't have to say anything like important that's going to be life changing, but just say something because it shows that you prepared and that you care. Like I, I'm just, I, I don't understand when, you know, when, when JOs go to quarters and they have this, um, you know, this opportunity to infect, you know, their group of people, like make them laugh, inspire them, do something, give them words of wisdom. Like you don't have to do it all the time, but uh, you know, you should have as their leader, something to say. Right. And it's, it's probably pretty alarming to me that, you know, jails will show up to, quarters and not have anything to say that just means you're not prepared mm-hmm. right and you need to be prepared because people are watching and they understand that if you come unprepared uh then you're kind of looked at as you know this in, in, insignificant person that's not any that's not adding any value to the conversation yeah hey teach yeah so we talked about getting checked last week right on our last episode getting like old-fashioned checking right <laughs> so I know the captain, right? Somebody tried to check captain before over a salute. I know, like, I heard that story. <laughs> <laughs> they tried That's to get the best story. <laughs> what happened? They tried to give you a check in. Uh, yeah, man. Like, so I was working over at the dry side in San Diego, and that's when, you know, on your NWs, they weren't the black yeah, with the was silver. The, yeah, on it. it was like the camouflage. <laughs> and, and yeah, they didn't know what it was, but. I guess, you know, I'm, I'm still like this young looking lad and I'm walking by where they do B-Dog, basic division officers course. And I'm walking a past a group of about three or four ensigns, like non-quals going to school. And they, I saw them look at me and I'm looking at them and I'm like, I wonder if they're going to uh, render a salute. So we walked past each other. They did not, but I'm not that type of person mm-hmm. to check anybody. I'm just like, they just didn't see, they probably just didn't recognize or they're just confused because they're brand new ensigns. And next thing you know, as I'm walking, probably about five to 10 more steps, I heard shipmate. I was like, oh, here we go. So I turned around. I said, you guys talking to me? And then they're like, yeah, how about a salute? (laughs) And I said, I walked closer to them and I was like, how about you first? Oh man, it was the best. Like I didn't feel bad. Like yeah. I wasn't like hate hating on them. But it was just funny to me that you had ensigns, you know, had the audacity, you know, because you imagine like that's like at a schoolhouse. Right? Right. They wanted to check some. I probably they thought I was some E four or whatever yep. with the crow. Can you imagine what they're gonna be like on a ship? Mm. Right. Like come on, yeah, ensign. I- like you just checked the 06, <laughs> like not on purpose, but say they thought I was in, uh, you know, E4. Yep. Like I didn't check them when they didn't salute me because that, I mean, they, they just didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. Like I, and if they knew that I was in 06, they probably would have saluted. I, I'll give them that benefit of the doubt. Right. But the simple fact that they, like, <laughs> it was like in their soul to do us right by shipmating me and saying, how about a salute? Come wow. on, man. That's like, that is hilarious to me. Uh, they was, wow. they, was, they was ready. They was ready. They were. just got in. They ready to go check anybody. Yes. In sight. You know, hey, how can you imagine like if they walked by a chief and they should made it a chief and said, Senior hey, chief, yeah. come on. Yeah. Like, or somebody. Yeah. Like, how about a salute, senior? Yep. Like, uh, oh, man. What if, oh, no, that's, no, that's awkward now. <laughs> yep. Uh, how critical of you, how critical of yourself are you? Oh. 
I don't like to lose, right? Um, you know, I, I, I have life goals. You know, I want to, you know, I, I tell myself, um, you know, you got to have a point B in life. Who you are, where you are is your point A. Who you want to be, where you want to go is your point B. So I'm constantly thinking about my point B. Mm-hmm. And my point B is to keep my wife madly in love with me, uh, be the type of man that, uh, uh, that my son wants to be like one day, mm-hmm. uh, and be the type of man that my, uh, that my, my daughter would like to marry one day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't always succeed, you know, and I don't, I don't always, um, you know, live up or get closer to my point B. Like I wake up every day trying to think about how I'm going to get closer to my point B. And I know at times I fail. I'm, I'm really critical when it comes to things that are important to me. Um, you know, when, when it comes to, you know, things that are insignificant, like I just blow it off as a loss and I need to do better. Um, but when it comes to the things that I prioritize, that I value, that I, 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 that I, you know, I cherish, um, you know, if, when I make mistakes, man, I'm super hard on myself. Um, and, and I think that's for everyone, right? Like mm-hmm. if there's something that you truly value, um, truly love, if you, if you fall short, then you should be highly critical of yourself. Um, but if it's something, you know, insignificant, you know, you just made a mistake and, you know, you can just dust yourself off and, and get back up and, um, and, 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 and continue to forge on. Um, don't be too hard on yourself, man. We all make mistakes. Um, but it's the ones that where like, I know that I could, I could have done better. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I could have, um, been more loving. I could have been uh, more intentional. Uh, those are the things that I'm really hard on myself with. Yeah, I heard you say, speaking of, when you were talking about a family, I heard you say before, if your goals are not enough to inspire you to get out of bed in the morning, then you need to rethink them, right? So, and speaking on a family, I heard those are your goals and those are the things that inspire you. Keep keep wifey madly in love. Uh, be the person that your daughter would want to marry. Be the person that your son would want to be. And I've seen you, we've seen you do so many things like ride off, you know, in the sunset on the horse. Um, we've seen you like with the deer now. And I think I see you like doing things yeah, with the deer. I've seen deer. you with like, you know, Dion's son. We've seen you on Fairfax. We've seen you do so many things. So my question is, what yeah. will Captain Jervy not do? Ooh. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you will see me not... put people first, right? Like not put people first Mm -hmm. where like I am doing things solely for myself. Mm -hmm. Like I'm a very ambitious person, um, but I will never do things just for my own personal gain. Mm -hmm. Right. So I will never do something. And my wife and I were talking about it today. Um, kind of like next, next move, right? Like I am not going to do something, um, that goes against, what we believe in, um, where like got to uproot, uh, and do a job where I am going to be like just grinding away and not have the opportunity, uh, to be there for my wife. Like, I think I've done enough in my career, um, where, you know, we can ride off in the sunset on a horse together, uh, and just be okay with it. Right. Uh, I am not going to do things, um, in my career that's going to, jeopardize or sacrifice, um, you know, our relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, what, the things that I'm not going to do, like I'm a, I'm a, um, I love adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, I love like, we're talking about like just kind of physical goals. Like we want to climb, you know, a 14, uh, a, a 14,000 foot, you know, peak, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's pretty difficult, but you know, 
there's there are not too many things in life um, that I wouldn't challenge myself to do, right? But when it comes to the things that I love, that I cherish, um, I will not put that in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answered the it, question. It, that it, was a tough one, man. Like yeah. it's, it's late in the day, and you asked me that really deep <laughs> yeah. question. I'm like, what would I not do? Yeah, like, I won't swim with sharks. How about that? I just I won't swim with sharks. Captain Jeremy won't swim with sharks, guys. So here, here's this thing, right? So I had this whole like you know getting ready to talk to you and stuff like that, knowing that we had this prep for uh, for some time. I had this whole thought before I did digging, right? I had this whole thought about how a lot of sellers. Turn off a switch when they join the Navy and kind of suppress who they are, their personality, their talents, and stuff like that, right? Because they believe it's like a standard way to be a seller, right? I've seen it as well with COs, right? I've seen it as well with like officers and stuff where it's like, man, like, is it like just this military standard cookie cutter version of a CO that everybody think they got to be, right? So before Mm -hmm. we kind of got together, I I was like, that's going to be the theme of this episode, right? But as I did digging, (laughs) I kind of realized that you never made a a choice or hit a switch. You just always like had been yourself. It never was like this moment Mm -hmm. where you was like, oh, I'm going to change and I'm going to do this. This just always been like you. Am I right? Yeah. And so there was a change and I I think I talked about it earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, when I left school, left the Naval Academy, and I was kind of groomed and trained to be this certain type of leader mm-hmm. um, that you had to talk proper and you had to you know, present yourself a certain sort of way. And I thought that's how I had to, had to be. Um, but when I saw that, I didn't have the connection that I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Like in a locker room setting, I realized that, man, this doesn't work, man. Like... I, I, I'm not that cookie cutter leader. Um, yeah, maybe it's 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 a good foundation to have, but that ain't for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm 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 cut from a different mold, right? And so, the the moment I made that switch, mm-hmm. um, you know, to kind of just be me, I'm a dude that wrestles with with their people, right? I'm a dude that you know high fives and hugs yeah. and 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 jumps and gives shoulders to each other. Like that's just who I am. Right. Is that in the playbook for being a naval officer? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but that's just who I am. And the moment I started to be genuine, the moment I started to be who I am based on my upbringing, based on, you know, that dude that saved me from getting jumped in, based on my dad, you know, wanting a better life for me, I realized that if I'm truly going to make a difference and have an impact on people, then I just need to be me. I just need to be genuine. I need to be that guy who wears his hat to the back, who talks a different kind of way, uh, you know, who has a little bit of a sag to his khakis, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just different and I have to be okay with that. And if the Navy's not okay with that, then they can get rid of me, but they haven't yet. So, obviously, <laughs> it's working, yeah. right? right? Like, obviously, it's had some sort of impact in a positive way. So Mm -hmm. until the Navy says you're done, we don't need that sort of leadership anymore. I'm going to keep being me. Mm -hmm. Are you the best cook in the house? Oh, but uh, absolutely not. So we were playing this couples game yesterday, right? And it was like a matching, like who's a better cook. And of course we both said my wife. And then we were like, okay, well, you know, on a scale of one to 10, rate my cooking. And she said two. I said, come on, man. Like I'm better than that. You gotta give me a two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man, but, but like, I'll give it to my wife, man. Like, she's just an unbelievable cook. And, like, since we've been out here in Colorado and, like, everything in San Diego is so accessible, like all the Filipino food, and you could just go to a local store and get it. 
you can't find it out here, so we got to cook it. So she's like mastered the art of, you know, all of the Filipino foods, man. So like she's, uh, she, she's something else and she's very special. And, uh, I don't think if she, you know, didn't work on that trade while she was out here, like I'd be going nuts without my, my rice and dinner go on. Yeah. <laughs> hey, for the listeners, we in the home stretch, but this been fun, man. We gotta let the captain yeah. go soon, but we we've been having hey, a great time. That was a great conversation that you guys had about the mafia too. That was pretty funny. Yeah, we, I mean, me and David they say that. That was all teach. Teach, teach up the mafia. Me and David, shut up. <laughs> I got the mafia is real and I am not a, you know, I, I I am not afraid to say that it's real. And, you know, if you think about how it started, it was just a bunch of people that didn't speak a, a lick of English mm-hmm. and they all had to stick together because mm-hmm. they, they felt comfortable with each other. And then mm-hmm. it just kind of grew and grew. It kind of got out of control, but you know, <laughs> yeah. that's how it initially started. Right. You know, when you think about a group of people that didn't speak the language, didn't understand the culture and, but they just wanted something better for their, their themselves and their family, they had to stick together. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's just how, kind of how it all started. Yeah. So I'm glad you said that because my follow on question is, you know, you have the Filipino mafia, right? And then in my experience Mm -hmm. um, in the past, when I tried to have that same dynamic with my own culture, it was almost like looked down upon or it was like called out or, you know, they would say certain things to me. And it's just like, I'm just doing like, I just see that, like, I see there's aspects of the Filipino mafia that work. Like, you yeah. know, you have, you have a connection with people who, you know, may come from the same background as you do. You understand the same thing, you know, black people, we look at each other and it's like an understood thing, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so not everyone wants to embrace that. So for one, it's great to hear you say the Filipino mafia is real because everybody wants to act like it ain't fucking real, but it is. Oh yeah, it's real. <laughs> so what do hey, you- I'll be the first to admit, I'm the godfather. <laughs> 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 so speak to the positive um, aspects of having something like that within the Navy organization where everyone wants to kind of look at each other and say, oh, I, when I look at you, I don't see color. Yeah. So again, it's it's not like the mafia started with just Filipinos as a matter of survival, right? Mm-hmm. They wanted to be surrounded by people that spoke their language, that ate their food, that understood, um, you know, the the pains of being, um, you know, enlisting from a different foreign land, right? Um, now it's kind of grown where like they invite any, everybody like it's all inclusive like oh you like lumpia you like ponce mm-hmm. like come join us yep. we're gonna have you know here in the in the fan room or whatever yep. um and we're gonna throw down uh at midnight right and then everyone will join right so it started from a family gathering um which was kind of a matter of survival because you know they just you know my dad told me when he first you know, he, he first enlisted on his first ship. He got jumped. Like he was in birthing. He got jumped. Um, and he didn't know who it was. It was middle of the night. Stuff got stolen, whatever. Um, and you know, he didn't trust anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. So the only people that he trusted were folks in the mafia because they were all experiencing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's just kind of how it all started. And they all just, it, it was like a comfort thing. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, how, how it like, evolves into other um other groups you know i i i don't think that there is a need you know for for folks to get together you know there's there's um 
like micro mafias when you look at the you know the mess decks right you see everyone kind of hanging out mm-hmm. amongst themselves and then i'm just making a point to join everybody mm-hmm. right like i'm under the um the uh, the mentality that I want people to see my color, right? right? I know that I understand what that means when I don't see color and you know the merit stuff, but I get that. But I want to see, I want people to see my color mm-hmm. because I want them to see my struggle. I want them yeah. to know that I grew up from Skyline. Like I want them to know that my dad immigrated from the Philippines, joined the service right in the sixties. And he was a steward and he grinded from the bottom and he made it to be a chief, right? I want them to see that struggle in me. And I want to be able to tell my story. Mm-hmm. Now don't treat me any different and don't give me things just because of that, but you should still know that that's the reason why I am who I am today. Mm-hmm. And this may help you see that. Right. But like what I, when I explained about the unity council, like if you want to know about somebody, ask them the question. We mm-hmm. all got stories. Mm-hmm. Now, are you that intuitive to go and brave to say, Hey, I know you got a story. What is your story? I right. get that opportunity every day when I get a new check-in, right? I always ask them about their story and what they want out of life. And when I see them again, I'll say, Hey, how close are you to that thing? Right. And then, so Having that platform as a, the CEO, like, that's another thing. Like, I would always challenge chiefs. Like, if you owned a sailor and I had a check-in with them and I knew something that that chief didn't know, I would always call out that chief. Hey, did you know that this is what they want out of their life? Mm. So then chiefs made it a point to have that same interview and ask the same <laughs> questions I did so that I would know more about them. Because I, always, always, I would always challenge the chief. Like, if I know more about your sailor than you do, yeah. then you're not doing your job right. Yeah. Right. Know. Right. And then, so I would very, I would get very um, personable. I would spend the time to get to know them. Um, and because I firmly believe as the commanding officer, my primary job is to give each sailor an opportunity to achieve their point B. Mm-hmm. And in order for me to do that, I got to know it. And mm-hmm. in order to know it, I got to ask them about it and, and spend the time. People always say, Oh, you're too busy. You got all these things that you got to worry about. Yep. My, my priority is my people. And if I say I love my people and I cherish my people, then I would spend the time to get to know them and understand what they want out of life. Mm. Yeah. How proud is dad? Oh, man. Like, yeah, he's, he's super proud. It's, and it's one of the, the, the driving motivations for me. Like, I never want to let him down. Uh, mm. I don't think I could. But at the end of the day, you know, when I talk about, you know, doing right, my, my scale of if I did right or not is if I, I would just kind of look in the mirror and say, would dad be proud? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And if, uh, if I know positively that he would be proud, then that's a win. And I did right. Um, and even if I thought I, I, I won at the expense of something, I knew that my dad probably wouldn't be really proud of it. Um, and I know that, uh, maybe I could have done things a little bit different. Um, uh, mm-hmm. but he's super proud. We talk all the time. Um, you know, it, it was like his dream to have a son as a officer. Then it became, it became his dream to have a son as, you know, a captain of a ship. Now he has all these other grandiose plans. My like, dad, come on, man. Like, you, you keep moving the goalpost. <laughs> I've done everything already, man. Like, yeah. I, I always strive to make you proud. But, you know, it's uh, at some point, you just got to be okay with what, what you got. Yeah. I know he is. How proud oh, yeah, are you oh, yeah. as a dad? 
oh my gosh, like I got a daughter who's a swell. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, how, how can I not be proud? I got a son who's a starting quarterback, you know, at a, at the Merchant Marine Academy who's out at sea right now. Mm-hmm. Um, as a mariner who's an engineer, man, this dude is like, he knows how to weld. He knows how to lathe. He knows how to tear apart diesels. He knows how to trace systems. This dude is phenomenal. So I am super proud of what my wife and I have been able to create, like, I know that I've been deployed quite a bit. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's hard. It's always hard when you leave. Um, but knowing that I have a support system at home that can take care of, um, you know, the dad things, the fatherly things, I know it's, it's not the same, but, um, having somebody there, um, you know, to kind of take care of business has been a game changer for me. I know that I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be where I am in my career if it wasn't for my beautiful wife, uh, mm-hmm. who is just so special, who's been able, you know, to kind of, um, you know, keep the kids on the glide slope, right? Like our kids were phenomenal, um, making, you know, unbelievable life decisions that typical teenagers don't make. Um, and I was gone for a lot of that and I still kill myself, uh, for it, but I know that, um, you know, th- I-, I know that, you know, God's watching after us. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that he's truly blessed us. And I know that, um, you know, what we've done is pretty dang special. And I don't ever take that for granted. Yeah. And then speaking of that, like being an orchestrator in your life and then speaking on your wife too, your dad got something to do with the story of you and your wife, right? <laughs> Man, it's like it's all wild. Just, just kind of how God works. So, my dad is a retired chief. My my wife's dad is a retired senior chief, machinist mate. They were stationed on the same ship together in Guam, working mm-hmm. in the same department as engineers. My dad was an HT. Um, my father in law was a senior chief, um, machinist mate. So they were good friends. They were in the mafia together, hanging out. <laughs> and um, so. We both moved to San Diego around the same time. Uh, but I grew up in Southeast. She grew up in South San Diego, like San Isidro, like the last U.S. exit. Mm-hmm. Uh, she went to Montgomery High School. And um, so I got in. I went to Naps. We're two years apart. But after, while I was a plea, my freshman year, she got her acceptance letter and um, to, the, to the Naval Academy. Her dad called my dad and said, hey, my daughter just got in. Uh, she got accepted to the Naval Academy. Can you have your son take care of her? So being the good son that I am, who always wants to make my dad proud, I took care of this lady. Uh, and, which, was, which was funny because for the longest time, we were best friends. Mm-hmm. We called each other cousins. You know how the Filipinos do. Like mm-hmm. She was my relative. She was my cousin. And uh, then we started dating. And everyone else thought that was weird. Like, uh, isn't she your cousin? Like, why are you dating your cousin? <laughs> but like, it was just wild. Like, I met her family before I met her. Um, wow. Same goes. Like, when I was at the academy, uh, my my parents went to her debut. So it was just like it's just like this weird relationship. And it was like meant to be. Like, we're still super close. All of our families. Like, we don't do anything separate. Like, we do everything together. Our family, mm-hmm. their family. Um, and it's just. Um, you know, one of these special things that you couldn't script. Mm-hmm. It's it, it was a storybook. Right. You know, you know, just a story that um that we still continue to live um to this day. Like one of the questions from our couples game last night. And I keep bringing up this game because it's hilarious. Is you know what is um what episode are you in in your in your relationship? Mm. So I just like made up some random like we're on episode or season four episode uh 
13. Mm-hmm. And then she was asked like, oh, well, how many seasons are there? And then that kind of, I was like, there are six seasons, <laughs> which means we still got a while to go yeah. before the story's done. Right? We, regardless of, we've been married for 24 years, 25 this year, and uh, we still got a story to be told, you know, and it mm-hmm. ain't over yet. Yeah, that's yeah. Nice. Hey, y'all, look, I'm almost. I'm. I got about three questions left. I don't know how many more questions y'all got. I'm. I'm coming down. Well, to it, his man. his last question just spun a question for me. Um, you were talking about what season are you in when it comes to the Navy? What would you name this season that you're in? What would what would the title be? Oh man, you guys asked me at the wrong time. Yeah, I got two <laughs> questions. I got two questions left now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was funny. yeah, for sure, hundred percent. So there's there there's a job that I wanted um, that I've kind of prepped my entire life for, um, and I just found out today that I didn't get it. Mm. So um, you know, but I still bring energy, right? Like it all happens for a reason, and I know that um, you know God is great, and I know that He has a different plan for me, mm-hmm. uh, even though that it's been on my fit rep since 2013 that I wanted to be this job. Um, you know, and, you know, I've kind of lived my life in hopes that I can one day, um, you know, be in this position to have the opportunity to shape and mold future officers. Um, but I just got the phone call 10 minutes before I came on. That's why I was a little bit late, uh, that I didn't get it. Right. But that's good though. Right. It's okay. Um, you know, we move on, you take Mm -hmm. L's. Now it's a matter of what you do with this L, um, that would determine if you're going to be successful. I can sit and mope and, you know, and, 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 and claim victim, but I'm not going to, um, I know that I'm better. I'm, I'm bigger and I, and I can recover. I've done enough in my career and in my life that uh, I I can hang them up and be proud. Mm -hmm. What season am I in? I love my job. I'm getting joined right now. I'm post major. Uh, I've done everything. I commanded three ships. I've had a huge amount of influence. I've seen while I was department head, you know, my JOs are now taking command of ships. You know, you know, they're all jervy trained. So they're, you know, they're having fun <laughs> and, and they're winning. So I'm super proud of them. Uh, I see f- folks that I've had the opportunity to serve with that are doing unbelievable things. Um, so I know that I've left my mark, mm. right? I've, I've left my legacy. My legacy is not my name on a building or my name on the ship. It's seeing people grow. It's seeing people advance in their career so that they can influence and affect, you know, junior sailors the way that I've been able to. So again, my legacy is my daughter. My legacy is my son and seeing them still grow and doing amazing things. Um, so again, I can hang them up today and I would still be proud of the work that I've done and be super content with my life. And my wife and I can go out and do the things that we've always wanted to do and travel and see the world. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm done yet though. Like I, I don't feel like, um, um, I still feel like I have some positive energy and fuel in my tank where I can continue to spread the good word and influence and impact, um, and inspire people. Um, so again, it's it's a hard pill to swallow, uh, and I can't believe I'm talking with you guys about it because mm-hmm. you know this is just something that you know. But you guys bring the best out of me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I got to be able to talk about it and got to be able uh, to talk about you know your highs and your lows. And you know, typically that'd be my CNC, and I'd say, "Hey, CNC man, they didn't want me. This sucks, mm-hmm. and I don't know how I'm about to back." And then he'll tell me to suck it up fix your face. You know, you probably think about it for about 30 seconds, but then life moves on and you need to be there for your people. And that's exactly what he would tell me. I can hear him whispering in my ear right now. Uh, but that's exactly where I got to be. Um, so I know that, 
um, there's a different plan for me and I got to just search and figure out what that is. Yeah. And you yeah. are leading and inspiring, you know, just real right. quick before I did, before this episode, my CMC, he, he got wind that I do a podcast, right? I, I don't talk about it. So like you got to find yeah. out, right? So CMC gets wind that I do the podcast and he's like, Hey, what's your next episode? It wasn't the one with you, but again, like I try not to talk about it too much, right? Like, so yeah. I'm like, Oh, well, you know, we got Captain Jerry coming up, right? I want to tell him <laughs> about the very next one. He was like, for real? I need to listen to it because I need to know how he did this. I need to know how this happened. I need to know how he did this. So all of that stuff that you're doing and all of that stuff that you want to do, it's really like a lot of people are inspired, motivated, JOs, yeah. junior sellers, command master chiefs, all types of stuff. So it's a lot of people listening to it. And they will no matter where you go, no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Me personally, my, my only kind of thing that I hope is that I always got somewhere where I could go check something of yours and see you doing mm-hmm. something. You know, I don't want you yeah. to just disappear. You do what you want with your life, but I don't want you to just disappear in the mountains and never be seen <laughs> again. You know what I mean? That, like, that, that, you know, that's good motivation. And I think it, it extends right. past, past the Navy. Right. Yeah. So we were talking, I was talking to the, uh, you know, my purse guy, my detailer, and he said, you know, it's a nom job. And he said, if you didn't get it, um, what would you want to do? And I said, I don't know, man. Like I just, I, I have a, like this desire to help the Navy out in, in much bigger ways. And I'm not a front office guy, you know, I'm not, um, you know, but I, I do want to do something to, to bring people in, uh, to recruit, uh, to, you know, to kind of help with the, the culture. Um, so anything that has to do with that, I don't care if it is upward mobile, like they still want me to do like, you know, kind of a job that's a flag making job. And, you know, the, the one that I applied for was, um, but like if, if it's not, helping out the, you know, the bigger Navy needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I necessarily want to do it. Like I'm not a front office mm-hmm. guy. I want to be on the, you know, on the deck plates. I want to be, you know, going door to door. I want to help with our recruiting efforts because it, 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 it hurts my heart to know um, that um, we are struggling and, you know, with, with getting people into the service and the more we struggle, you know, it's just going to have this cascading effects for years to come. And I don't want to see um, our great organization uh, struggle with, uh, with recruiting. So, right. um, you know, any way that I can influence, any way that I can inspire, whether it's, um, you know, people that are joining and enlisting or whether it's people getting their commission, I want to be able to do something regardless of where that takes me in my progression. Um, you know, people always are trying to groom me and, and have me do, you know, things that are going to get me to that star, but mm-hmm. that's not important to me. What's important to me is having an influence where I can, you know, do what's right for the Navy. And if that's, um, you know, on the recruiting effort, I'm certainly would do that. Um, and if that's at, uh, you know, at an institution, I would certainly do that as well. Yeah. So what's your do better? Oh, I, I was thinking about this and I, and I think it's changed, right? Like, you know, there's always things that we can do better, like, but I want to talk about it from the perspective of commanding officers. Um, and we talked a lot about it from my experiences, being bold, being courageous, understanding that this ain't 